Hi there, this is BT Calloway. Welcome to The Simpsons Index. Before we get into the show, I just wanted to tell you about our upcoming project, Pulp Fury Radio, a new podcast anthology series featuring all original stories in classic pulp genres like sci-fi, noir, horror, and fantasy. If you're looking for an escape from the everyday, then you're looking for Pulp Fury Radio. You can find out more at pulpfuryradio.com, with the first episode coming soon to wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, on with the show. Simpsons Index, an online spreadsheet that is also a podcast. This is the podcast. Coming to you out of SideQuest Studios, this is the Simpsons Index, episode 172. Hello out there, I'm your host, Elliot G. O'Neill, and joining me in the studio is here as always, except when he's not, Mr. BT Calloway. Did you know 172 is a lucky number? Is it? I don't know, shut up. And joining us all the way from Ohio in the United States of America is The Real Jims. Howdy, I'm here on my bully pulpit over here. (laughs) I don't know, it's a Teddy Roosevelt episode, why not? Yeah. (laughs) Bully! Uh, Thank you for joining us, and uh, yeah, this is The Simpsons Index. This is a podcast where we watch and review three episodes of The Simpsons at a time, but there's a twist. Each episode must come from a different decade. Now that's our premise for reviewing Simpsons, but The Real Jims, your YouTube channel, which a lot of our audience is probably familiar with, is, yeah, doing a lot of different Simpsons content. What are you doing over there? Oh, we're doing all sorts of things. Uh, Well, I mean, my most recent videos that I've been working on, we've been doing the Season 7 Retrospective. I've been going through every single season and kind of just going over what makes a Season 7 episode a Season 7 episode. I did the first six seasons already, so uh, currently working on the top 10 episodes. I also do um, a bunch of Simpsons Histories videos where I do a breakdown of a specific characters and all their appearances over the years, how they changed, etc. Also a bunch of other stuff like Simpsons Mysteries, where we look at random mm. mysteries from the show, and then just episode reviews, like showdowns, countdowns, things like that. General YouTube stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I-, I was really loving the Mona Simpson um, deep dive you did the other day. Like, it was so, like, of course emotional just being a Mona Simpson, but also... Yeah, seeing what they've really done with the character in the HD era and a lot of the things that have rubbed us the wrong way sort of didn't seem to sit right with you either. Yeah, um, like part of doing that one was because I felt like a lot of people don't really know about those later episodes they did with her. A lot of people think, oh, like maybe Mother Simpson and then maybe that one in like season 15 or so. But a lot of it was just basically showing that they did do a lot of interesting stuff with her. Like, unfortunately, a lot of it's really sad and depressing, like almost Mm -hmm. Bojack Horseman levels of sad. (laughs) Well, maybe not that sad, but uh, it ended up being a lot more melancholy than I expected the whole rundown of her. No, absolutely. And... Yeah, normally when we ask the Simpsons Histories question, you know, we can write up for most of our guests them ever seeing the new stuff, but you're staying up to date, of course. Yeah, pretty up to date. I I will admit that I've probably missed a couple episodes, like in the last couple seasons or so, because like what I do is I normally just catch up at the end of the season because I have trouble doing the whole, you know, weekly show kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, I've seen pretty much almost all of them at this point. Yeah, wow. So let's rewind the clock a bit anyway. Uh, where did the Simpsons begin with you? What your Simpsons history? Where did it start? Well, I started watching the show when I was really little. I can't tell you exactly what my first episode was. I have very vague memories of watching like some season two and season three episodes. Like mm-hmm. I distinctly remember watching Bart subplot and Lisa Lisa's substitute. Mm-hmm. And like I, I remember separate vocations very specifically too. I think yep. when you're younger, you remember the Bart and Lisa episodes a lot. And I um, just kind of grew up watching it every week. You know, I remember watching Who Shot Mr. Burns and things like that. But then when I got to around high school, 
like high school age, I kind of fell out of watching it regularly, you know. And then probably later on, like when I was in college or so, I for one like random Christmas present, my parents bought me uh, The Simpsons season three on DVD, and like that kind of re-energized my love for the show. I like I just watched that season over and over again and listened to commentaries, mm-hmm. and then I just kind of got involved with the fan community. And then one thing led to another. I started a YouTube channel about it. <laughs> And yeah, that's how we meet. And you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't, yeah, mention and send a big old thank you and shout out to Diana, who uh, not only yeah introduced your channel to me, but also uh, essentially set up this play date on Twitter as well. So yeah, at Gap Fraser, thank you so much, Diana. Yeah, this is awesome. I, I mean, I just love chatting Simpsons with people. So thumbs up <laughs> to Diana. And we do nothing else if not that, and also chat Game of Thrones. But that's another that's podcast. <laughs> But no, very excited to get into this with you today. And yeah, starting out with an episode from the HD era. This was season 23, episode two, Bart Stops to Smell the Roosevelts. First released in October of 2011, it was directed by Stephen Dean Moore, written by Tim Long. Mm -hmm. In this episode, Bart gets in trouble for uh, being a fake auctioneer and Principal Skinner cracks the shits at Superintendent Chalmers and says, well, you know what? If you can talk such big game, why don't you step on the court? Paraphrasing, of course. So anyway, Chalmers starts hanging out with Bart and shows him uh, how cool Teddy Roosevelt was, and they form a little uh, friendship and little uh, boys club. What'd we think, BT? Uh, well, normally when we kind of critique an episode, a lot of the HD errors we say, oh, you know, it's not bad, but it's kind of like first draft. This one is at least second draft. But, uh, <laughs> Progress. Look, it's co- it's coherent, and I'll give it that. It's just a mm, little lack of polish here. What do you reckon, James? Uh, I kind of feel the same way. It doesn't feel very first drafty at all. Um, I was surprised how down to earth this episode was. Uh, when I think of HD era, I think of like basically things getting wacky and crazy. But yeah, surprisingly down to earth kind of character focused affair, I thought. Yeah, look, for me, this is one where I love the conceit of the story. Mm. I think this is such a wonderful pairing of characters that you wouldn't see paired up with Chalmers and Bart, and especially extending it to the, um, you know, other not-doing-so-great-in-school-kids. The bullies, if you will. Yes, the the mill house. And using (laughs) Teddy Roosevelt as a way to bind them is, I think, genius, but, yeah, a lot of the jokes and material kind of let me down in this one. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a weird concept for an episode in general because it almost feels like a manatee joke from like South Park where it's like you take a character and a concept and just throw them together. So you're like, we're going to take Bart and we're going to take Chalmers and then we're going to throw in Teddy Roosevelt of all things. (laughs) And like, it doesn't seem like it should work at all. But then when you see the characters connect over it, like conceptually, it does kind of work surprisingly. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's dig deep into this episode and uh, figure out where we're going to go ranking on it. BT, we'll start with you. For better or worse, what's a moment that stands out to you? I think my favorite line out of this entire thing is going to be when Bart sits down with Chalmers and he's like, well, I'm going to be your teacher now, Bart. And he just goes, eh, same garbage, different dumpster. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good line and I'm stealing it. <laughs> Thank you for the HD era for giving us obscure lines that people would never know was written from a Simpsons episode. Yep. Because unless their name is the real Jims, they haven't seen it. <laughs> Speaking of you, Jims, for better or worse, what's a moment that stands out to you? Um, I'd probably say that really bizarre flashback to uh, Chalmers in The Breakfast Club. Like how this yeah. is his backstory. We learn more about Chalmers and, oh, he's being beaten up by The Breakfast Club. Weird. Yeah. Where they go, ah, oh, this isn't the Breakfast Club, this is the Fight Club. You're like, wait, what? And then they kick his ass Breakfast Club style. Yeah. 
What? <laughs> Very bizarre. And yeah, especially when they didn't like, because this would be one of those HD era moments where you'd be like, oh, okay, they got Molly Ridenwald and Judd Nelson in. Mm. No, that's none of their voices. Can even imagine Emilio Estevez would be a bit too expensive at the moment. I mean, what's he doing? Nothing. <laughs> Mighty Ducks 14. <laughs> <laughs> they never stopped making them, they just stopped airing them. Yeah. <laughs> hey, the nostalgia came back around. I think they might be doing one soon. Yeah, true. Oh, God damn, that was a joke. Why do my jokes keep coming real? Stop prophesizing through comedy. Mm. And what stands out to me, like I said, I really do like the pairing of Chalmers and Bart, but like, I, I get what you're saying, James, about it being sort of a manatee joke, but I guess it kind of works for me for the characters, and especially with Bart, you know, uh, the common thing with, you know, he's not dumb, he's just necessarily not being engaged on a level yeah. that's appealing to him, and that's yeah. what I like about the Teddy Roosevelt thing. And the thing that stands out to me as a really bad move in this is um, when they're at Chalmers' place and they're all sitting around talking Ted, and then all of a sudden Chalmers breaks out into a bit of sexism, and it's just like, why? Yeah, that was a weird turn where he's all like, oh, the trouble is with schools today is they're all geared towards women and feelings. You're like, uh, what? Why are we doing this? And that's kind of the only real touch point of it. They do have the, you know, go on to say, you know, Bart says later when they learn about rocks, he's like, Chalmers would take us out and actually look at the rocks. Yeah. And then, you know, Miss Grubble's like, there's pictures on page 36 and my page 36 is missing. That's kind of a good, you know, comment on it's easy to learn through doing and things like that, especially for engaging kids. But yeah, it was just weird to be like, oh, it's all about feelings in these schools now. It's like, you've never had this opinion before, Chalmers. Mm. When Chalmers said that, I kind of like went back through my mind of like every other Chalmers appearance of being like... Was this kind of attitude just always in all of his other appearances? Because this is like his first big spotlight episode where we learn more about mm. him. Yeah. And then when he kind of goes off on that tangent, you're like, huh, was he just always this big Teddy Roosevelt, you know, bravery, masculinity, like no crying kind of guy? It's weird. Yeah. Whereas, like, I think if he just didn't say that line, like, all that sort of stuff would have been there, you know, wanting to do a boys club and stuff and do mountaineering mm. and, like, it's fine, but, like, to outright point out, like, girls is, like, real childish. <laughs> yeah, very weird. And <laughs> yeah. Especially that the ultimate point is, you know, oh, why don't we go out and take the children out into the field? And then later on, Nelson gets hurt. And it's like, that's kind of why. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if they had like a joke where like Lisa comes by and they're, and they're basically like, Lisa, you can come along. She's like, eh, nature, or and doesn't want to go for some reason. Like, I think that <laughs> might like make it a little more, like it might bridge everything together. But yeah, the way mm. it's presented, it's a little weird, I think. No, actually, I, I agree with that. And I think it would also tie in with her line, which I really like from this episode, where she's like, oh, please, Teddy Roosevelt, fuck off, but like, yeah. I went through my TR <laughs> phase way back in first grade. It's all about fucking FDR. Like, I love how hipster she is about it. That's the natural progression. You go TR, then FDR. And then mm -hmm. I guess you become a pinko kami, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, like TR... <laughs> I'm just TR kidding. A... I'm just kidding. I love FDR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, TR is a gateway president, and then after that, you get hooked on all the others. Play count. Have you seen this episode before today, BT? I have not. Jims? I think I've seen it once or twice, I think. Oh, right. Yeah, I've seen this a few times, you know, because this is sort of when I was going through my re-watching the HD era phase a lot, and I didn't realize how bad season 23 would get, and... This would sort of still be, like, a an episode that, yeah, I'd return to. But, like, on this watch, I was kind of like, huh, why? Because, like, in the Simpsons community, this episode is generally well-liked. Mm. 
you know, you see those articles, 20 episodes that you may have missed that are from The Simpsons that are actually good. Yeah, this episode comes up a lot. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's fine. It's okay-ish. But my, my two biggest complaints on this one are going to be how we get into the plot proper and then how we resolve it. Specifically because, okay, so they're having this auction because the school is out of money. Bart calls up Skinner on the phone and pretends to be like a wealthy English woman. And then the way he gets caught is he walks in and says, ha, it was me all along. It's like, why would you do that? Like, you mm. know you're going to get caught and punished for that. There's literally no reason for him to just walk into a room and announce he's done it. Yeah. And how we get out of it, how we get Chalmers his job back is Wiggum drops his gun. It shoots the controller in the leg and he goes, ah, Chalmers can have his job back. So, you literally couldn't think of a single other way out of this script, could you? <laughs> like, how does that even work logically? Because, like, shouldn't he be pissed off that he just got shot in this leg for the situation mm. that involved Chalmers? Like, what leverage yeah. does Chalmers have at the ending? Yeah, exactly. Like, if it had started <laughs> with the controller going, well, this is going to be a long and difficult negotiation going long into the night and then gets shot, it's like, no, nah, no, nah, we need to skip this, just skip to the end. At least yeah, there you that, go. You know, and that's a line that would make more sense. Yeah, because I tend to agree about the auction at the start because that's the plot bait. Mm. You know, if that's how they got out of it, yeah, that's whatever. But what was all the other material around it? And I didn't like anything from this opening auction. I do like that the auction was, uh, the theme was drowning in debt, so it was all nautical. Oh, okay. That I enjoyed. The rest of it, yeah, nothing really came out of this one for me. Yeah, they didn't really... They just had a Krabappel joke with the T-shirts, which I guess that's okay. Mm. And uh, mm. but then they just go straight to the auction, and the like actual things they're auctioning off aren't that funny. It's like a like a Willy shirt, uh, Willy shirtless, like mowing your mm. lawn or something. Like yeah. so, I don't know. Like it's pretty bland. Like the opening set piece, I would say. Yeah, I don't mind. You know, Skinner failing to auction off the lunch with him, but also that joke dragged on too long, and it was also tied in with Homer's like telling people not to bid, which was just meh. yeah. There's another dumb thing I didn't like was yeah, Homer gets up and's like, no, we have to not bid. That's the only way we change the system. It's like, did you want to change the system? Um, what are you doing? Homer Della Rocca over here raging against the fucking machine. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Though one of the prizes <laughs> was a uh, mayor for a day. I do like that. They have no authority to do that. <laughs> Not about authority, man. It's about the auction. Just the sash. It's a nice sash. Yeah, exactly. All for the sash, bro. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the wackiness. What do you reckon, Jims? Was this a particularly wacky episode of The Simpsons? Uh, I don't think so, surprisingly not. Like, I guess the most wacky thing that happens is maybe there are, like, bears who are bad fathers in the forest, and Nelson Mm -hmm. falls down a cliff, but it's not a particularly large cliff, so I want to say it's that wacky. Sorry, I was just going to say the cliff looks much bigger, but then he falls down, it's like two feet. Yeah, oh, okay. And that wasn't done as a joke. It was just like, oh, I guess the drawing perspective was wrong. Oh, it might have been a joke in and of itself, but... I liked it as a plot point to, you know, give Nelson a slight scuff, mm. yet have his mum make a big deal out of yep. it. Like, yeah, I think that was, yeah, good sort of, like, low high stakes plot yeah, move. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's hardly Homer falling down the cliff levels of wacky. Yeah, I'm going to say, this one got wackier as we went on. So it starts off relatively grounded, like you said, with, um, you know, Chalmers just teaching Bart. But then there's a bit where Chalmers gets on the bus and it crashes and he just launches through the windshield. I like oh, yeah. this. I like this as sort of, a, yeah, a play on the uh, whatever, just drive thing. And of course, he just drives into a tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a line I think we both groaned at, which is uh, Superintendent Chalmers trying to go fishing. It's like, damn it, fish, you're going to be my dinner. It's like, yeah, that, that was the worst joke of the episode. For sure. No, for real. Because, and I hate this sort of 
Little Britain style of comedy mm. where it's, yeah, the same punchline, but the situation changes around them. Yeah. I think it's just the laziest fucking form of writing. And that's all Superintendent Chalmers has been for the last fucking 12 years up until this point. Like, you're right, Jims. This was his first time actually being a big character. Mm. Like, all the other times, it's just, yeah, variations on that stupid Skinner line. Yeah, like he, it, he comes in as the ruling authority, makes some kind of rule, and then leaves. Yeah, and then talks about yeah. his pool skimmer. Sorry. Yep. And they did put in like little moments with like Chalmers where he do get to know him better. Like there's that part where he like gets up in the morning and he's talking mm. about how he misses his Rosemary, which I guess is his wife, I guess. Yeah. And, or his like ex-wife. And you have like little moments of those, but they don't follow up on them at all. It just yeah. goes back to either like the Teddy Roosevelt stuff or just more tired Chalmers stuff we're used to. Yeah, which would be a fine thing to dig in. Like not like super hard, but yeah, just that he misses this person and, you mm. know, maybe they went camping or something. Yeah, and you get a little bit of it when they're you know, in Chalmers' house and you get a pan of his mantelpiece and there's a photo, a wedding photo there and you kind of piece it together like, okay, we've never seen this character and given, you know, the urn that's on the mantelpiece and the photo, you're like, okay, his wife has died. That's that's yeah. You get enough from visual reference alone. And yeah, to give it a bit of something because, hey, Chalmers is basically a blank slate. We know he dislikes Skinner and has Shauna as a daughter, but we don't really know much else out of, uh, about him. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sean is his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I keep forgetting every, every time I see that, I just can't forget that fact. I was like, you're a Chalmers kid, really, every yes, time I yes. watch them. <laughs> Shauna had to come from somewhere, and now we know it was Rosemary, so... Oh, that's a depressing thing for mm. Shauna's backstory I now know, as so well. There's, there's some complexity here. Come on. There's a reward yeah, for that, knowing all these things. Especially since he hangs out with Jimbo a lot in this episode, and he and Shauna mm. are constantly dating and stuff, so mm. that's got to be kind of weird, too. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and like you're saying, BT, it's so good that they have a character that they can dive into it with such a blank slate and mm. afford to give him some personality. Yeah, after 77 seasons, you can just pick a random character and go, oh, let's explore this person's backstory a bit more. Yeah, it makes much more sense to me than doing a musical around Groundskeeper Willie becoming a gentleman. I mean, a lot of things make more sense than that. <laughs> and my final note of wackiness was the Fox News copter has like a cloaking device. And it just appears and says, watch Hannity and leaves. <laughs> My point being that, yeah, this I have like four wacky notes in a row at the end where I had none in the beginning. I think they just, as things went on and they weren't sure what to do, just got wackier and wackier. And yeah, I think it's to its detriment. Yeah. And I think they kind of glossed over a really good potential storyline in that Chalmers sort of just took these boys out and didn't seek proper mm. approval or permission or whatever. And, you know, because he's the superintendent, I think that should have carried a lot more weight. Ra like, rather than this lockout, which, mm. yeah, feels like a pale imitation of uh, Grade School Confidential. That's the, the exact same thing I thought of, Grade School yeah. Confidential at the end. Especially when the police are coming out, I was like, what are you guys going to do, play the music now? Like, yep. And especially <laughs> when you think about how that episode ended versus this one. Like, I don't think that's mm. a comparison you really want for this episode. No, not at all. But yeah, a decidedly not wacky episode. And th I think, again, that was probably a missed opportunity given that, you know, the setting of taking the boys camping outdoors and stuff, I mm -hmm. think. I mean, aside from all that, I think they actually did some really beautiful artwork and stuff when, yeah, they were going horseback and camping yep. and stuff. And, yeah, with Bart and Chalmers as well, you know, spiking their drinks. Actually, Chalmers <laughs> drinks a lot in this episode. Well, he's uh, <laughs> missing the woman of his, of his, of his life. Hmm. But yeah, also Bart spiking his uh, milk with Buzz Cola. Yeah, I mean, that sounds awful. <laughs> just, just 
Ew. Um, but how about the heart in this episode? Did you guys feel the emotional moments? No? Not really. <laughs> like, I mean, there was the Rosemary thing, and that's about it. Like, I don't know. Like, Chalmers is okay, I guess. Yeah. I don't really <laughs> yeah, feel anything. It's more that no real moment of emotion was really followed through on. Like, if you'd had a speech from Chalmers at the end talking about, you know, I actually did what I got fired for. He did actually take the kids out without, you know, being responsible. And it is his job to, I don't know, something. But, you know, either even something about Rosemary could have had a, an emotional impact or something. It's all just kind of there. Yeah, it sucks because it feels like in this question, it's just going to be talking about the absence of it because mm. there is something very special about a teacher finally engaging some troubled students in an area and in learning yep. and finding a figure for them to latch onto that, you know, whose hobbies that they can sort of pursue and have fun with and engage in education. And it's a shame that that's so glossed over. Yeah. I mean, we've seen time and time again that when properly engaged, Bart, you know, excels. Yeah. Yeah. It did feel, it did feel a little heartwarming seeing like actually Chalmers break through to Bart, like when they're having that scene in the library and Bart is coming around, like, you do feel something in that scene, and mm. we did see with the Breakfast Club, unfortunately, that like he <laughs> was a teacher in the past. But you're right that there's no actual arc there. It becomes mm. about like the lawsuit, and then, I mean, I guess at the end he does talk about how like Bart did learn something about Teddy Roosevelt or whatever. But like, it's not really about that arc anymore by the end of it. No, and like Bart's plan should have had something to do with something he learned about Teddy Roosevelt, yeah. just in terms of story structure. Yeah, threatening to throw the photocopier off the second story window is nothing that Teddy Roosevelt ever did, as far as I know. You don't know, yeah. <laughs> maybe you need to learn more about TR. Yeah, maybe it was actually a printing press or something like that. I don't know. Something. That seems like the kind of thing he would do. Yeah. Yeah, there's got to be something from his long and interesting history that you could draw an inspiration from for a conclusion. Well, yeah, because... Especially, yeah, the heart of this episode, like, you see glimpses of it. And when Bart is, like, doing all the did-you-knows in the library and, like, mm -hmm. Chalmers obviously knows it and he's going, oh, really? Is that a fact? <laughs> and, like, you can see Chalmers is proud of himself and mm -hmm. there's these little moments like that that, yeah, really shine through. But Did unfortunately... go full British for a second? You're like, those little moments <laughs> like that. That's what I heard. Maybe I'm hallucinating. Maybe I hear English accents this early in the morning. <laughs> I'm not a good person to ask. I'm an American. Australian British sounds the same to me. <laughs> you wound me, I, sir. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately, not a lot of heart to talk about. But ultimately, did this feel like an episode of The Simpsons? Are these the characters we all know and love? I think it did feel a lot like a Simpsons episode, actually. Like, the characterization wasn't too bad. Like... Bart learning about history and like connecting through history did remind me a little bit of like Marge teaching about like Johnny Tremaine and stuff. Mm. So I felt yeah. like Bart was fairly well written. And um, Chalmers, aside from that weird like touchy feely thing, like he felt pretty well in his own. Um, Homer and Marge were pretty much useless this entire episode, but like yeah. they didn't seem too far off. So yeah, it felt like a Simpsons episode to me, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, for the mo uh, in the plot beats, for sure. I, again, I don't like the resolution. I don't like how we got into it. Or rather, having getting into it because of Bart pulls a wacky prank, absolutely. Having him just walk into the room and shout out his confession makes absolutely no sense. 
But other than those little points, I'm mostly on board. And it's not hard to catch him out. He's on a cell phone in the hallway. Mm. Like, surely you can write that as in someone who hears the echo yeah, from the speaker call. Yeah, or he's just going to pee and happens to see him there or anything other than him walking and going, oh, I did it. Why don't you punish me now, governor? <laughs> Yeah, it reminds me of that yeah. bit in fucking uh, interdimensional cable on Rick and Morty where it's like, quit crimes. All right, I'm the killer. Here's the gun and lock it up. <laughs> well, that was a really quick crime. Honestly, Principal Skinner was all over the place in this episode because like, he mm. is just incredibly, incredibly stupid in the first act. Yeah. Yes. But then when Chalmers confronts him, this is like the first time ever he like pushes back and the teachers mm. are behind him. So it's like this weird shift from like, crazy amount of stupidity to crazy amount of Skinner confidence that's really weird yeah and I really like that bit you finally see Skinner stand up to Chalmers it's like this is huge and then I even like the follow up where he's like while I'm on a roll I'm going to call up that carpet cleaning company and tell them a hallway is not a room and then he's on the phone he's like oh yes I'll hold wink yeah <laughs> uh, beautiful. yeah I love it where he's like yeah Willie I've got one over on these guys I'm... Yeah. <laughs> but no I absolutely agree and it's sort of it feels like these two sides of Skinner uh, that we've seen over the years. And yeah, Jims, we've sort of, uh, obviously you know about the whole flanderization concept. And for us, we've sort of noticed the Skinnerization as well, mm. where after Principal and the Pauper, we reckon that's like where Principal Skinner stopped being, you know, the hardened vet character that was undermined by people like his mother and Chalmers mm -hmm. and was just constantly a whipping boy. Do you agree with that or...? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, when when we saw Agnes Skinner, like, asleep in his office, I'm kind of surprised we didn't get a lengthy Agnes rant, mm. because that's what she always does in the modern era these days. Yeah, maybe they had to cut time for the extended couch gag. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I we mean, forgot to mention that. Yeah, so this was a couch gag by a guest director, John Kay, famously known for uh, starting Ren and Stimpy, and... Yeah, I have great discomfort about all that because, yeah, Ren Stimpy was a big part of my childhood mm -hmm. and then John Kay turned out to be a massive, massive, massive creep. Yeah, especially, like, that part of the couch gag where, like, Homer is ogling Marge and, like, oh, Marge's yeah. boobs are, like, wiggling all over the place. I was like, yeah. ooh, like, that part especially did not... Like, this is definitely a John Kay production, you can tell. Yeah, which, like... Because I remember... You know, when I w was about teenage and then they released all those, like, Ren and Stimpy up late and I was like, mm. ooh, boy, my uh, childhood cartoon's gotten a bit naughty. And, like, those episodes were actually actively disgusting and I was, like, a kid that loved disgusting humour and I'm like, mm. ugh, this is gross. Oh, I didn't even know about that. Oh, didn't you? No. It was bad. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, John Kay was reputedly hard to work with on Ren and Stimpy. I think he got fired after a season, am I right? Yeah, I think a season or two. I think I heard a long story that like he spent like days and days trying to figure out what color a box should be, so everything kept getting delayed. I think. Yeah, and yeah, he'd end up being replaced on his own show, mm. which is wild. And then yeah, later on, it'd be yeah revealed that he was grooming like fourteen and sixteen year old girls and stuff like that. Right. Uh, yeah, just a a real bad dude, and it's yeah such a shame that they dedicated so much time of this episode to mm -hmm. him. But just uh, facts outside of that, this was only the second time that they'd had a guest couch gag director. Really? Yeah, the first time was that Banksy one. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that one, Jims? Uh, yeah, the one with the like the factory environment with yeah. the animation and stuff. Oh no, it was like like the capitalist machine and like them. What was it like unicorns being ground yeah. up or something? 
<laughs> oh, that's uh, the unicorns we being used their horns to poke out the middle bit of the DVD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Disc, yeah. And it's kind of funny to me because I didn't realise that was the first one of these big, mm. long extended guest directed couch gags. And I'm like, oh, so that one that was a big critique on the capitalist system, especially the one that involves The Simpsons, they were like, that went great. Let's do another one. Who should we get? Oh, John Kay. <laughs> Now, and he's all like, let's just focus entirely on Marge's ass. Yeah. I assume that's what he sounds like. Pretty much. <laughs> but back to this episode, BT, yes or no, would you watch it again? <sighs> I feel like there's nothing else to pull from this episode. So unless it just happens to be on, I don't really see a point. What about you, James? Would you watch this one again? I think I would, just for the novelty factor of it being a Chalmers episode. Like, we don't have many of those, so mm. sure, why not? Yeah, I, I tend to think that I would, but just because I feel like it's one of these pillar Simpsons episodes, especially in the late era, where it can be used to explain what's going well and what's going wrong. Let's hook into that sort of side of it a bit more. BT, what would you like to change about this episode? I mean, make with the laugh laugh, for God's sakes. It's yep. a comedy. And just, yeah, how we get into the plot proper and how we get out of it are my main real big sticking points on this one when it will come down to the ranking. But yeah, just make with the jokes. It was, I don't think we got anything more than a, a nose blow out of air during this entire episode. Yeah. So. Uh, what about you, Jim? So what would you like to change about this episode? I think mostly the ending. We discussed it already, but it just really mm. doesn't work. Like, it's great that they did destroy the copier in the end. I think once you threaten to do it, you have to th- destroy the copier. Yeah. But like the actual resolution with the comptroller getting shot on the leg, it just doesn't work. So yeah, fix that. Yeah, Chekhov's copier. <laughs> As in, if you introduce a photocopier, someone must scan a picture. <laughs> or break it. What are the other? They should have had it at the auction in Act 1. Hey. That would really pay off. Yeah. It was all about the copier all along. I do like how they get a 30-year mortgage on... Because I don't know. Those fucking copiers are expensive. Like, yeah, man. Oh, what was I going to... Oh, what am I going to change? Look, I really love the idea about this boys' club. I don't think you need to explicitly state that it's a boys' club either. I mm. think... Because it's just, these are the troubled kids that also happen to be boys. Yeah. And the kind of people who would be inspired by the story of Teddy Roosevelt and all the shit that he did. And, like, yeah, I know Teddy was also a big hunter, but he also had a big reverence for nature. And I think that's so worth exploring through the eyes of, yeah, the bullies Barton Millhouse. And I think it kind of sucks that... Yeah, the camping trip wasn't longer, it wasn't more a part of the story, and then, yeah, the resolution of the Chalmers, who has to oversee protocol, didn't adhere Mm. to protocol. I wish it was something a bit more bureaucratic, maybe if, like, Nelson only got a scratch, like, maybe the cliff, even as shallow of a cliff it was, maybe that was too high stakes, yeah. They could have used Nelson a little in Act 3, because Nelson Mm. was part of the prank and taking over the school, and he's yeah. part of the lawsuit involved. So it's kind of strange that you have both parts kind of going at it and you don't do anything with it. No, and having that conflict with Nelson is probably worth exploring as well. This could be a windfall for his family, but also, yeah, it's uh, probably going to lo- make this guy lose his job and make yeah. Nelson lose his club. And they've even got Roosevelt's example of getting shot and continuing to do his job anyway. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, Nelson got hurt, but he can still continue to thrive. And wouldn't he take away that lesson from Roosevelt? Mm-hmm. American flag waves behind yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, that's just there constantly for some reason. It's weird. I, I, I don't pay anyone for that. It just It's always there. Um, so uh, we didn't have any guest stars? No. All right. Yeah, we're here. Jims, did you have any other notes about this episode to mention before we rank this thing? 
Uh, actually, now that you mentioned there weren't any guest stars, I'm kind of shocked because like every HD episode seems to have one. Mm. So I kind of like this episode more now that you've said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, with the Breakfast Club, like I felt like that's where they were going to do it, yeah. especially because, yeah, what the fuck's Judd Nelson? And I don't even remember who played the gothy chick in that. Sheena Eady. Sheena Eady? Oh, yeah. That's a great uh, name. Oh, Ali Sheedy. Ali Al- Sheedy. That's it. I knew it was wrong. But I was like, I can't. I only know it for a South Park bit. I think you mixed it up with Sheena Easton as well. Yeah, I, I mix up a lot of things. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. What's Molly Ringwell? What's Amelia? Anyway, I don't want to encourage the Simpsons. Uh, any other notes, Jim? Yeah, don't enable them. Uh, no, not really. I guess a uh, special shout out to that weird flashback about him throwing the bullet back at like Mo mm. t- uh, Teddy Roosevelt I mean I can't tell if that's the best joke of the episode or the worst yeah. joke but uh, <laughs> I guess I appreciate the historical accuracy yeah no, I get away with it because this is how a 10 year old would imagine it going down so I do like that then you know the assassin then disintegrates and Teddy Roosevelt just eats his skull yeah <laughs> that's a great uh, how about you, BT? Any other notes? Uh, I've only got one left, which is where, you know, Chalmers is all like, oh, you know, the school system has failed you kids. And Jimbo's like, what? The school failed me? So school has to go to summer Jimbo? Like, <laughs> that's dumb, but I like it. I really loved that line. Um, yeah, but surprisingly, that's my only note. I don't even have a full page of notes for this episode. because uh, yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, not a lot happens, but also that's a good thing because often, you know, our note-taking hands are just so cramped from writing every single fucking plot beat that happens in a HD era episode. It's nice that this one has a through line. It's weird that, yeah, your praise is, thanks for not having so much happen that I had to write things down. <laughs> All right. And as for my final notes... Homer's extended rants in this episode, I think, are some of the biggest negatives for me. Mm. Like his whole uh, invisible cash and invisible ATM thing. Especially when he's doing dumb big Homer stupid voice. Mm. And the whole cyberbullying and the treehouse. And- yeah, that got diminishing returns. Yeah, I like the first part of the cyberbullying. When he came back, I was just like... Okay, guys, it's time to move on. Mm-hmm. Then he came back again. I'm telling you, Homer and Marge are completely useless in this episode. It's almost mm. like they realized that they didn't have enough Homer in the episode and just kept bringing him back for just random one-liners the whole time. Yeah. It's such a shame as well because Marge could at least notice that Bart's sort of doing a bit better now with this mm. teacher or, I don't know, Like it feels like easy she, inclusion. She could have made him that tiny little uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt outfit. Yeah. With jumpers and all. Yeah, she probably did. (laughs) Jodpers. I like that Bart learnt the thing about horses, that they can poop and walk. Um, (laughs) Oh, and the Chalmers taught him about uh, horse pooping and atheism. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. That was a really good Mm follow-up. And then, yeah, when Bart and Lisa were talking about FDR, Grandpa chimes in and goes, I don't like Jon Stewart or that guy, but I like Colbert because I don't get the joke. I feel like the joke was there that he didn't need to say, but I don't get the joke. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't date really well because Colbert's not doing that shtick anymore Mm. of the, yeah. I feel like you have to put some kind of clarification because if he says like, but I really like Colbert, like it might sound like, oh, they're just endorsing Colbert for some reason. But if he says something like, but that Colbert guy really speaks to me, like Mm. maybe the joke might read better, but the whole, the way they structured it, it's just very on the nose. No, it really is. And it's, yeah, one of these things where I'm sure there was a better joke for Grandpa mm. to make, making a Roosevelt reference rather than a modern day fucking Daily Show reference. So, yep. yeah. Um, who's Kermit Roosevelt? Yeah. Kermit, Kermit Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Yeah. 
I probably should have looked this up as a diligent researcher, but I didn't know if there was actually a Kermit Roosevelt Look, or when, that's a joke. When the Muppets married into the Roosevelt family, oh, there geez. was an alliance, really, but they actually did end up falling in love. And then eventually there was a Kermit Roosevelt, and uh, he ruled Sesame Street with an iron fist. Oh, yep. It says right here, Miss Piggy's full name was Miss Piggy Roosevelt. Yeah. God, man. I buy it. <laughs> I had Amer- I had American education. I don't know about our history. <laughs> and I just make history up. It's easy. Prove me wrong, bitches. Damn it. The two Americans I get on this podcast cannot shed any light on this. Hey, anyway. All right. Well, I think that's all my notes. So I guess that it's time to rank this thing. And on the Simpsons Index, we rank using our six-point scale, which starts down the bottom at failure. But maybe if the episode is just meh. You give it a participant. But for the positive episodes, you've got OK Bronze, Good Silver, Excellent Gold, but for the best, of the very best, the episodes which The Simpsons could not exist without, we have our special ranking of Cubic Zirconia. Now I'm going to go first. Let me show you how it's done. Uh, Look, I don't know. Uh, hmm. I am going to go a bronze, and it's mostly on the strength of the story, whereas a lot of the jokes in this episode I actively do not like, but I think there is something, pardon the pun, really charming about this story. BT, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'm very split as well. I almost want to give it a bronze because it is, you know, a coherent episode, and that's so stunning in the HD era, but I can't ignore the fact that I feel like I've taken really nothing away from this one. There's not really a heavily standout joke other than, uh, what did I say at the beginning? And now I've lost it. So I Summer Jimbo? No, it's some other line. So you can't even find the one wow, I Wow, it really was that memorable. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, same garbage, different dumpster. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, God, it's almost the description of this episode. <laughs> yeah, almost. So, I mean, uh, participant feels too long, low, bronze feels too high, but I am going to go with a participant. It's a good participant. It's a solid one, but this one just kind of passed me by, and I was just like, okay, cool, whatever. All right, Jims, and now finish it off, please. Uh, definitely cubic zirconia. Like, I just came on here to break you guys' system. I guess I'd say I'm kind of landing between, like, bronze and participants as well. Um, mm. I think I'm going to be charitable and give it a bronze. I think there is enough good stuff in it where where I think it gets there eventually. Uh, I guess the big knock against it is that it's a little dull. Like, if the jokes were better, I think mm. this would be for sure, like, maybe a silver. Um, but there's nothing, like, egregiously bad about it that would make me want to go down to failure or participant. So we'll give it a dull bronze, I would say. Yeah, that's honestly why where I think I'm with you on that one, mm. is that, yeah, HD era episodes have just burnt me so much that it feels like nice that this one isn't even singeing me at this stage. It's yeah. just poking me with the it's stick. Like- be careful I've, I've been hurt before <laughs> but it, it actually reminds so averaging out this will be a dull bronze and i was just thinking this actually reminds me of two other episodes to surveil with love mm-hmm. which has a terrible b story but a pretty good a story where we also learn more about Chalmers that he likes to wear a dress and twirl nunchucks yep <laughs> this used to be a small part of me and also from season 24, Dark Knight Court also got a dull <laughs> bronze and these are sort of t- episodes that i feel like are worth watching, but yeah, have these participant sort of mm. moments. So I think, yeah, Dol Bronze is sort of becoming a good catch-all for those sort of episodes. For sure. Yeah, I mean, there are much worse episodes in the HD era. I mean, if the big knock against it is dull, then then fine, Bronze, I guess. Yeah. No, I think I really like where that uh, one has ended up. All right. Well, look, that does it for the HD era episode, and now we're moving on to the teens era. So this is the point where I turn to BT and ask... BT, the episode we're going to be reviewing next is entitled Romy Old and Julie Eh. 
What's this episode about? Yeah. If you'd like to learn more about presidents, I recommend <laughs> How to Fight Presidents by Dan O'Brien. <laughs> Good book. <laughs> Do you know he got stopped in an airport once yeah. because he had a copy of that book and he goes, oh, it's my book. Why am I being detained? <laughs> yeah, he was on a no-flight list for a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All and right. that's what I think the episode is about, Elliot. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, well, yeah, we're going to watch the Simpsons episode about Dan O'Brien. Uh, we'll, we'll be back. And we are back, and we just watched our Teens Era episode. This was Season 18, Episode 15, Romy Old and Julie Eyre. First released in March of 07, it was directed by Nancy Cruz, written by Daniel Chung. In this episode, it's a wedding. Grandpa and Selma get married, and in the B story, Bart and Lisa build a box fart. What'd you think? Why did you have me, like, on for this episode? Like, really? <laughs> the one where Selma marries Grandpa? Oh my gosh. Uh, that's right. I gave you a half-decent HD era episode, and then whoosh, screwed you on the teens era. <laughs> yeah, you invited, you like, the world's biggest Selma shipper for the Selma Grandpa episode. So this this will be interesting, I'll tell you that. You've written some fanfic? <laughs> no, I have a video on my channel that I did for April Fool's Day where I basically pitched the concept that the writers should get Selma and Moe together. And I listed <laughs> all the reasons why they would be a good couple for the show. It was kind yeah. of a jokey April Fool's joke, but it was also kind of serious. And yeah, like this one, like she literally marries grandpa. So like, yeah. I'm obviously going to be against it because I'm on team Moe, but like... Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's third. I'm against it. Yep. It's a totally ridiculous concept to begin with. I mean, like first off, you got to think back to that. Uh, they'll never stop the Simpsons joke in that Gump roast episode where they literally make fun of this concept and then they yep. make the episode. Yeah. Can I pitch a title for your Mo episode? Matrimony. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give the writers any ideas. It's better than Romy Old and Julie. Eh. Fucking yeah, it is. What do you reckon, Beach? Uh, I was surprised at how dull this one was. Mm. Like, for one that had such an absurd premise, I'm like, okay, let's let's see how deep this pit goes. But it was just like, oh, eh. It's shallow. Yeah. And it's surprising. I thought there were potential emotional stakes. And nope. I felt like the episode did actually get better as it went along, but also it was, yeah. It just got more pointless. And there was a certain point where you're like, this is what we're doing and there's not going to be yeah any emotional payoff to it or any kind of real story point. It's just this is this is blah. It's things that happened. Yeah. It was weird how down to earth they wrote the whole situation. It's almost like mm. they were self-conscious about how they made fun of the concept in that song. <laughs> so that when they wrote this episode, they wrote it as down to earth, like a simulation mm. of what would actually happen if Selma and Grandpa got together, what are the struggles, like the work struggles that they would run into together? Yeah, that's yeah. the thing, because when I heard about the concept, I assume it was going to be like an insurance scam or some kind of, you know, other reason to have this happen rather than have them genuinely fall in love, which they do. So... No, I was so surprised by this one, because, yeah, it's one that you say from the outset, Selma marries Grandpa, and people go, oh, really? Is that where the show's at? Mm -hmm. And, yeah, in execution, it's not that sort of so bad it's bad or so bad it's good appeal. Yeah. It's just dull. Yeah, it's like they had, you know, the dumpster, and they had the matches, and they just didn't set it on fire. 
Yeah. It's like, okay, that's good, but now we just have a dumpster. Mm. In a weird way, it almost sounds like this is a bad concept done in maybe the most nuanced possible way. Like, part mm -hmm. of me would kind of respect it more if they just threw the match into the dumpster and be like, this yep. is a crazy, wacky episode. But there is a part of me that's like, this is kind of a dumb concept, but at least they're trying, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And we leave the wacky dumbness for the B-flip. Well, that that's it. And, like, this is one where I actually really can't wait for the what would you change section because <laughs> I think there's ways to do this idea and, yeah, either turn into the skid and make this crazy or, yeah, really go sentimental with it, which I thought they were hitting on, but didn't quite mm. get there for me. But anyway, let's get into the questionnaire. Jim, so we'll start with you. For better or worse, what's a moment that stands out to you? I would probably say the box fort war that they had, especially when the dragon swoops in and everything. Yep. They really build up to, like, this is very realistic. It's something that kids could actually do. And then the dragon swoops in, and I was like, you know, that's crazy, but it's also really badass, and I kind of love it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, this was actually a long time before Game of Thrones as well, and it's surprising because it feels kind of influenced. Mm. Maybe it's a Lord of the Rings thing? I don't know. I haven't seen it. It's just a genuine... It's just a castle thing. You yeah. just throw a dragon in there. So oh. it's weird this incredibly wacky bit as well starts off with a very quick Nazi joke. Really? Uh, yep. So there's a bit where Bart says, huh, who, knows, who knew guys in brown shirts could be such a problem? Uh, which is a reference to the SA, which were the secret police for uh, Hitler during his rise, who were replaced by the SS after the Night of the Long Knives. Holy shit. History, fellas. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they were called the brown shirts because they wore brown shirts. Oh. And I thought it was just starting out with a charming ass joke. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, this scene, I guess I, like, I don't really have problems with it being like the unconnected B story because mm. there is a lot of fun to be had. But yeah, I don't think they... Uh... They didn't know what they wanted to do with this. They're like, they build a huge box fort and then... Ah, we'll work it out later. Yeah, I mean, it didn't have anything to do with the like A plot, but I don't necessarily mind that much because, I don't know, sometimes B plots can just be kind of throwaway fun yeah and i feel like this one did convey the sense of fun that it wanted i thought i like i kind of think it's the best part of the episode like by a mile actually oh, definitely. and even if it has nothing to do with the actual plot like at least it's fun and that's what you want out of a b plot yeah because yeah, they even themselves kind of just admit how disposable it is you know they, they finally defend the fort they're like want to melt it with a hose okay <laughs> Which is fun. Yeah, that was great. Like, I think, yeah, these good B-plots, especially with the kids, you know, they're having a little fun kid adventure. And mm -hmm. I got the sense from this, but yeah, I think tonally, like, because I think I just wanted to see more of that, like, creative use of the box mm. medium to defend the castle. Yep. Like, they had a couple of good ideas with the tubes and stuff, but then... Yeah, it went into dragons and Nelson out of nowhere. Yeah. 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 How about you, BT? For better or worse, what's a moment that stands out to you? I'm going to say my biggest negative on this is really how we get out of the A plot, which, you know, we kind of knew was going to happen. But because Grandpa and Selma are meant to be genuinely in love, it's like, well, how are they going to get out of this? And I'm like already thinking it's going to be weak, isn't it? And no, yeah, they have one bad day where Selma's a bit stressed at work and Grandpa breaks a few of their appliances. And they're like, oh, this isn't going to work, is it? Like, it, it's been a day. Mm. And just, yeah, that's their out. And they're divorced now in the end. It's like, all right, that was stupid. Thanks. Yeah, I hated this scene as well because of how emotionless Selma was. Mm. Like, he put her kid in danger. 
Yeah, and that would have been a, a more impressive out, at least, to oh, something. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, it just I knew it was going to be unsatisfying before I saw it, and then I was like, okay, there it is. And now, yeah, don't work through it or anything. No, just get divorced. It's over. Yeah, you can really tell their relationship was hanging on a thread because, I mm. mean, it did start really kind of frivolously after, like, that Homer prank moment. But, mm. yeah, if one mm. bad day is going to just break them up, it probably wasn't going to happen to begin with. No, and uh, it lacked stakes going into it as well. It's again, these uh, this episode sort of has skerricks of good ideas, mm. and I thought Selma and Grandpa getting together over a mutual hatred of Homer is kind of interesting. Yeah, but they didn't really hit on that enough either. Well, they got initially got together over a in- mutual interest in lemon candies. Oh, yeah, and I was going to uh. say in. We've criticised the HD era, or well, no, this isn't even HD, is it? It's teens, jeez. It's getting there, only, yeah, two years away from... But we've uh, criticised the latter era for a lack of foley and just kind of being very empty sounding. But no, the foley they get is a lot of mouth sounds, thank God. Yeah, that's the most I think I've ever wanted to hear Selma and Grandpa chewing for the rest of my life. Oh, it's three times as much for me. (laughs) Enough for three lifetimes. Oh, it's just so, like, because especially doing podcasts, I've had to yell at guests for, you know, not snacking while we're doing records and stuff. And it's just, like, they're leading into those sounds and they're gross. Mouth. You can, you can almost gross. picture, like, the writers trying to decide what would Grandpa and Selma talk about if they were in a room together. And I think they were right to lean into how awkward it is because these are both yeah. fairly awkward, kind of grumpy characters. But... I could have done with a lot less of the mouth sounds. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a lifetime's worth, not three times life worth. Three lifetimes worth. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, this episode felt short as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, moments like this where they the joke is how far they can extend it are that much more egregious in, yeah, this era of Teens Era episode where, yeah, the runtime is like 19 minutes or something. But what stands out to me, for better or worse, uh, it'd probably be the bit where Homer cheated on Marge. Yeah. This was weird. <laughs> like, the, in their elaborate pr- plan to break up p- Grandpa and... God, I can't talk today. In their elaborate plan to break up Patty and... No, Selma and Grandpa. Yeah, you're getting there. I know. Homer and Patty make out. And it's like, nope, this would never happen. Wait a minute. That that, that wasn't Homer. That was Esteban de la Sex Face. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. That means Stephen of the Sex Face. I did like that joke. Yep. Oh, and I kind of liked Homer still using the character to roleplay at the end. Yeah. But, of course, he takes it too far and then... Takes it too far. I do kind of like the joke of him writing himself out of the roleplay by accident. Yeah. There's a joke behind there, but it just kind (laughs) of went on a bit too much. But, yeah, what annoyed me, again, it's this episode's lack of anything, is that this is the moment that causes friction and, like, Homer and Patty get found out and then, Mm -hmm. you know, chaos ensues, but they, like... Nah, we're just going to gloss over that. Yep. Doesn't matter that Homer was making out with his sister-in-law. Whatever. Who he hates and has always hated. Yeah. (laughs) Which, ironically, that's not supposedly the first kiss he's ever had with Patty either. Because they had that one flashback episode where they're in camp, where they supposedly kissed at the end of that one. That's right. Yeah. When Homer was going under the another pseudonym, uh, Elvis Jagger Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> now that you mention it, there is kind of a lack of like organization with the plot because they do have this wacky scheme with Homer and Patty in the middle, and it's so brief, but it ends up mm. eating up a lot of time with the yep. Selma grandpa stuff later. So I kind of wish they would have just decided either, one, cut out the Homer wacky scheme and focus on the grandpa Selma stuff, or two, make the whole episode about 
how Patty and Homer hate this relationship. And maybe you don't yeah. have to go all the way to a marriage. But the way they did it, they kind of got two shallow versions of both of those plots. No, exactly. And that's what makes this episode feel like stuff happens because there's, yeah, little to no connective tissue between its own plot beats. Yeah, because the setting up of the Homer-Patty plan takes longer than the execution or the consequences of it. Yeah. yeah. Play count. Have you seen this episode before? No. Really? No. First time? No. No? no. no? How about you, Jims? I think I've seen it. I think I've seen it once or twice. I weirdly feel like I've seen the box story like five times, but yeah, <laughs> barely remember the grandpa story. And I don't know if it's because I've seen this episode five times or just mm. how little impact that side of the story has. When this episode came on, I completely forgot this was the box for episode until I saw the mm. Disney Plus thumbnail. And when I saw it, I was like, yes, this is the box for it episode. I was kind of excited. Ah, <laughs> uh, the thumbnails can deceive. Mm. Sometimes they reveal the smaller B plots. <laughs> Damn you, Disney. <laughs> but uh, in the correct aspect ratio now. Yes, finally. Actually, yeah, Jims, this is the first episode we're watching on streaming in its correct aspect ratio. Boy, you sure did pick a good one. Didn't we just? <laughs> <laughs> yes, finally, moment. four, three Simpsons. I'm going to watch season 18, Romeo Old and Juliet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> But no, it's really good and convenient, and yeah, finally in our fourth year of doing this podcast can, yeah, say that we're not using illegal files or fiddling around Which with DVDs. Which, of course, we never did. Oh, no, and of course we're still not doing, of course, because season 30 and 31 aren't on Disney+. Plus. Those Mickey ears are everywhere, man. You gotta be careful. <laughs> anyway, uh, was this a particularly wacky episode of The Simpsons? Yep. Dragons and box forts, yeah. Oh, Grandpa's face just melting when oh. Selma's gently patting it. Grandpa's malleable face. Now there's a playlist. Uh, uh, some uh. pigeons explode. <laughs> I did like that. Yeah, Dad, don't feed them rice. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. Patty, do you want some rice? Uh, I thought that was a very good joke. Yeah, I suppose Grandpa almost destroying Selma's apartment, kind of, but... Well, I mean, that's what would happen if you put a... VHS into a microwave, so... Mm -hmm. And a blender on a stove and a mm -hmm. pancake mix into a very old-school uh, yep. 5-CD shuffler. <laughs> I'm going to say that also, during the whole box fort battle, a lot of the cardboard is making like little metal clanging sounds, like swords. Like, All right. That's not the right sound effect. <laughs> that's a bit of fun. Yeah. Boy, we have a lot of notes about Foley in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably because we're working on a Foley-heavy other podcast mm. as well, popfuelradio.com. Yep. Did I say that wrong? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> they'll, they'll be the thing at the beginning. Mm -hmm. I would say this isn't the wackiest episode ever. I mean, it does have the dragon and, I guess, mm -hmm. like the fire at the end. But I kind of feel like it could have been a lot worse. So I'll give it yeah. that, at least. It's... I think, yeah, it's what uh, you were saying at the top, man. It's like the absence of wacky is actually yeah. really felt in this one. Despite, yeah, the big epic fox uh, box battle at the end. Which, yeah, again, coming back to my point at the start, I think, yeah, there were a couple of good moments of that. But then I think it really ran out of steam for me. I don't know. Like, the second half of the box battle was, once Nelson got involved, it was really boring for me. Mm. Oh, really? I, I, I don't know. I... I kind of felt like I got exactly what I wanted out of the box factory. If there was like a better resolution, I don't think I would have liked it as much. I like mm. that it was just kind of frivolous fun. I think Nelson was a decent enough climax doing the big yeah. Lord of the Rings jump into the crowd. The music, yeah. I got to point out the music was very epic at that point. Mm -hmm. Like it's very disposable. 
much like boxes, I guess. But <laughs> it gave me just what I wanted out of a climax for that. I don't know. Yeah, and I will say they do set up the very low stakes of this when the box guy's like, hey, give them back. And Bart's just like, not until we're bored with them. Yeah. <laughs> Is this the most Raphael has ever been like part of a plot on The Simpsons? Yeah, he's had two scenes in this episode. Mm. That's double his normal scenes. It was weird when his reappearance, though. Like, I thought he sounded weird at the start. And then yeah. he broke into, you will live to regret this day, and yep. shadowy. Yeah, actually, the box fort part of this episode had some really good aesthetics going on, mm. I will say. That's where they got all the production values. Yeah, for real. I guess that's what I think was kind of disappointing about it, because like I really like those sort of stories that are like kids being kids, but yeah. they ramp it up, so... You get the sense as you're a kid, you know, when you're playing, it is as epic and, you know, mm -hmm. you're hearing like Carmina Burana and all that sort of stuff. Yep. But I don't think they were doing enough like creative use of the boxes as weapons sort mm. of stuff. I think that's my big criticism. Yeah, it was more that they were cut into weapons rather than yeah. finding interesting ways to use it. Yeah, fair. Yeah, what were the little like, what were the little frisbee type things they were throwing? Were those supposed to be like throwing stars? I was looking close. It just looked like box squares. Yeah, just box squares. Maybe tinier folded up boxes. Hey, if you ever got a cardboard cut, those things hurt. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have to deal with uh, wine boxes and stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that why yeah, you got <laughs> cut up callous hands there? Yeah. It's a brutal life. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's a wedding episode, so we got to talk about the heart. Was there any heart to be found here? Again, not really. Like, I appreciate that, you know... Grandpa's lonely, and Selma's always struggled to find someone, so they find common ground, like, hey, this is a weird pairing, but sure, if it works, it works. But, I don't know, it was just kind of, they were just going through the motions, and there wasn't really any sentimentality given to either of them, which is yeah. weird in an episode that was playing it straight. Yeah, I agree. There was very little of Selma's point of view or journey, because she had obviously been through a mm. lot of marriages, like they have that banner joke with all the crossed out names, for example. Yeah. And at the very, mm. very end, they kind of address her journey a little bit, like they're trying to finish on a optimistic note that she will find someone someday. In my opinion, it should be Mo. Mm. But, um, <laughs> um, but so it sounds like it would work, man. So they do like get a little bit of that in there, but not a whole lot. It's really disappointing in my opinion. No, and you're bringing up the journey is like is such a good point because Grandpa as well, yeah, he's had several years without a wife or mm -hmm. um, I guess, you know. Anyone. I guess Mrs. Bouvier, but that, you know, was a, tr a very tragic tale. A B, but also a tragic tale. Yeah. So I guess maybe I think there is something there as well because mm -hmm. he's shooting for someone younger now so he doesn't have someone, yeah, die on him. Yeah, if he can't get his crazy stripper wife, then... Uh... <laughs> oh, I'm going to get the craziest, strippiest. <laughs> yeah, there are all these elements that could have been so much more fleshed out and mm -hmm. it's not one of these ones where I think the B story got in the way here. I think the A story got in the way of itself. Yeah, yeah any other notes on the heart, guys? No. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> It's the problem with these dull episodes is they just, they're not giving us enough to work yeah, with. Again, Do they not think of the Simpsons podcasters? I don't even have a full page of notes for this one, so. No. <laughs> I made it to exactly one page. <laughs> <laughs> no, I usually fill up both pages of my notebook here mm -hmm. written in um, $5 get out of here font. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I only got into one page. Good font, Do man. you think the episode would be improved if they tried to add more heart to it? Do you think we would take the Grandpa Selma relationship more seriously in that case? I mean, maybe, because again, they're playing this legitimate. It's not meant to be, you know, a wacky scheme of anybody's. So if they're going to play it legitimately, 
do it. Like, push a little bit of something. There's, we could believe in this, I think. It's, you know, it makes a degree of sense. Because, like I said, they're both, you know, lonely single people, have been for a long time. Yeah. And if it works, it works, sure. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I just think playing it middle of the road was the mistake here. Mm. Like, <laughs> I think if it went either way in either direction, it would have been way more acceptable than what we got. Yeah. It feels almost like the writers didn't believe in the concept to begin with, that they couldn't, mm. like, really give it that emotional oomph, because I don't think they really bought into the concept either, which is why the relationship yeah. just feels so wishy-washy and unmemorable. Yeah, it's like someone lost a bet, and they're like, fine, I'll write the episode there. Yeah. Like, I do wonder if they looked at that Gump Roast reference and was like, hey, this is the one jokey idea that we threw out there that mm. could actually be an episode. Well, get ready for Marge as a robot. Yeah. <laughs> and something happens. <laughs> Did Mo ever get that cell phone? Oh, Mo right. Mo gets a cell phone. <laughs> yes, the same year that Britta got her iPod. Sorry, I'm watching Community lately and I forgot which show I was <laughs> referencing. Um, but also Lisa in the morning. <laughs> But ultimately, did this feel like a episode of The Simpsons? Are the characters behaving like themselves? I guess. I don't know. I sound kind of <laughs> defeated right now. Selma definitely, she's been searching for love in her life. So mm. I feel like she was there. Bart and Lisa were very childishly written. I really liked their portrayal. Grandpa, mm. I think he's the biggest problem characterization-wise, but he's not crazy off. So I'm going to give that an answer yeah. of I guess, but... It's just yeah. such a weird concept. Say, it's hard to evaluate. Yeah, Patty and Homer are off. They would not. Yeah. They would not go through with that scheme. No, and I think the show feeling off is Homer not having consequences for that. Well, I mean, consequences would have been Marge finds out she gets mad. He's all like, "But I just did it for this plan. You know, I hate this woman." And it'd be like, mm. "Oh yeah, okay." Yeah, I don't know. Like, even though Homer cares enough to do this, it doesn't really feel like he cares either. Mm. And, you know, taking, you know, mentioned the Grandma Bouvier episode before, like, he really cared about the kind of weird implications of... Um, yeah, their children will be have tan skin and five fingers on each hand. <laughs> and, yeah, for his sister-in-law to become his new mother-in-law, like... Yeah. That could have been something. It feels on Simpsons that I didn't address it is what I'm getting at. Yeah. yeah. I don't understand why they didn't just have Homer get one of his friends like Lenny or something for the scheme. It seems really strange to me that they would have Homer like willfully kiss Patty for the scheme. Yeah. Like that seemed very out of character for mm. him. Yes. Or perhaps he could hire Mo, and then when Moe's kissing Patty and then you know the clip comes out of her hair and her hair goes back to Patty hair and he's like, no, I liked it the other way. Wait a minute. Selma? I'm totally on board with this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it'll be the tragedy like Just, in uh, Principal Charming where, Jims, you've been trying to set up Moe and Selma and then Moe falls for Patty. No! no! <laughs> yeah, come on, you got to build that ship. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yes or no, would you watch this episode again? I think I would, just for the same reason I did for the last one we talked about. As weird as the concept is, there is some novelty factor to the weird pairing. Mm. So, and the box for it is really cool, in my opinion. So I think I'll say yes, yep. just for the novelty factor alone. Um, I'd watch a YouTube clip of the box for it. 
Yeah, that was where my head was at. Other than, yeah, critical analysis and, yeah. you know... What uh, can we learn from this episode? That kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it has little to no value for me. Um, mm. Let's start with you, BT. What would you like to change about this episode? I mean, I think we've said it. Either make it wackier or more heartfelt. Like, I really thought there was going to be... They were doing some kind of scam or insurance fraud or something. That's how they got into the marriage. But then maybe Grandpa catches feelings, something like that. Just add a bit of heart because, hey, again, we, as we said, he has not been with anyone for a very long time. So we've been married since Mona. Yeah, anything with that. I don't know what else you could do. Um, and with the B story, I think maybe the whole thing would work if it was incredibly dark for no reason, incredibly hard to see, and then <laughs> like Lisa stabs the Night King and everything just stops, and you know, eight seasons worth of build-up is over in four minutes. I think that would really be great. <laughs> Does anyone have a show like that? Why would, fantastic. Why would anybody ever do that? <laughs> I mean, it seems like a legitimate way to run a TV show. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. And then, BT, if people complain, you can just say, well, you don't have an expensive enough television. Yeah, it's your fault, <laughs> viewers, you stupid fucks. <laughs> How about you, James? What would you like to change? I think I would change the fact that they actually get married in this episode. I think I prefer the version of this episode where most of the drama is about Homer and Patty being upset about this relationship. And maybe you can like build mm. something about... Like, what does Selma and Grandpa actually get out of this relationship? I really dislike that they actually did go through and get married in it because we've seen Selma get married twice before, and those were excellent episodes, obviously. But I don't know. I feel like you're going back to the well one too many times. I don't think it's believable, and it creates those pacing issues we discussed earlier. Yeah, like, the one... <clears throat> All right, there's so many things about this episode that I want to change. And yeah, like I've been saying the whole way through, every note that I have is just like, why wasn't it this? The way it was presented to me didn't make sense. But this one especially, like, yeah, there's just so little connective tissue between the plot beats. And I think there's a lot of easy fixes, like, especially with how the basement just literally gets thrown away. Mm. Like, he remodels the basement and this leads to grandpa moving into it and then it doesn't get brought up again like yeah that's about as much as i expected it i appreciate it came back when they're playing ping pong and then grandpa moves in so they have to find something else to do and that's how we get into the b plot but i don't know why flanders got a random delivery of boxes and they didn't just use grandpa's boxes that <laughs> he would have had from moving because it's full of old man stuff god um but yeah again the basement like what did it lead to oh chevy chase was in a movie once like Fucking hell. I do like uh, Marge touching the wood paneling goes, ooh, it looks like we live in wooden, wooden times. Mm. I can't think of the bankruptcy plot line without thinking of Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy loudly. Yeah. <laughs> Man, That's right. The second he did it, I was just like, I declare bankruptcy! That's such a good act, Bright. And then, yeah, Oscar coming in is like, you can't just say it. You have to... <laughs> Oh, what a good show. Mm. Um, no guest stars this episode, but we did get a little bit of a musical number. Joe Jackson's Is She Really Going Out With Him? Yeah. That famous one-hit wonder. That sequence was the most Al Jean sequence ever. Like, the moment they got to it, I was like, here comes the Al Jean, like, boomer song montage. <laughs> <laughs> he really loves those on-the-nose musical choices, mm. doesn't he? <laughs> All right, yeah, we're here. Jims, do you have any other notes about this episode? Uh, one last note, I really appreciate the continuity nod that they had with Marge, how she had a $500 totalpoker.com <laughs> bill in there. Yeah. I thought, like, any time they can bring up Marge's gambling addiction, I'm totally in favor of. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to say about changing the episode. Yeah, Homer declaring bankruptcy and then this uh, guy helping them out with their finances. Yeah, drops the second 
grandpa gets involved in the story and Mm -hmm. i don't know i think there's more to mine there even selma sort of making reference that maybe her taking sympathy on grandpa that homer's sort of had him removed like this and now he's having to live in a basement which they shouldn't have renovated at the start of the episode because of what it meant to the squalor living conditions (sighs) sorry was that all your notes (laughs) (laughs) no unfortunately not although i am wondering what happened to the big ugly head in the basement Mm. oh yeah that's hard to get out of there Mm. and remodel into a foul play ping pong table hey fucking pinball Ping pong, pinball. <laughs> Sorry. Ping. I did really hate the joke where Bart's just like, oh, the graphics are so good. It's like this ball is real. I was like, thanks, Boomer. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Al Jean. Yep. <laughs> BT, any other notes? Yep. I do like how Homer has three subscriptions to Vanity Fair, and he's like, I have three bathrooms, don't I? <laughs> yeah, I like that. I didn't see that joke coming. Yeah. That was very good. Um, also, as dumb as it was, I got a solid joke out of the shipping company being called the American Shipping Service Ass, and then their caption is, not affiliated with human ass. Yeah. <laughs> when Homer's like, hey, my dad did a great job of raising me. He always got so mad when Santa didn't bring me any presents. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. This is when I still had faith in the episode. But yeah, that is actually all my notes. All right. And yeah, my final notes, uh, the Flintstonings, the car. What did we think of this joke? I did like that it starts with her, you know, feet kicking and then just goes to... Uh, mm. Yeah, I was I was a little worried that they are going to go for the wacky version where he does take off really quickly. I, I like the realistic spin they did on it. Yeah, I was all ready to write down a wacky note, but like, oh no, that's how it would happen. I actually think it was actually wackier than the truth, because a car in neutral isn't that hard to move. I mean, from a sitting position with just your feet, though. Let's cut out a hole in the floor of your car and see. Let's cut out the floor of your car. (laughs) And we are talking about Homer, who's not particularly strong, I don't think. Oh, yeah, good point. (laughs) He's going to have, like, powerful leg muscles after that. Yeah. (laughs) I've got to look out for this in other episodes, but Selma's earrings weren't attached to her ear at any point (gasps) in this episode. They weren't? They were just hover earrings? Yeah, they were like hovering a centimetre below, or half an inch, sorry, uh, below her ear. It was really weird. You did give like a Body Snatchers style scream at the TV at one point, and I wasn't sure why, but um, okay, now I know. Which makes me think it's unusual, but I don't know, maybe I've just never noticed that before, but yeah. Anyway, mm. Selma Earring Watch. And yeah, my final note is, yeah, don't drag the Beatles into this. They've <laughs> <laughs> been through enough. <laughs> All right, it's time to rank this thing. BT, it's your turn to start first. As stunned as I am, I'm going to go participant. This one is mostly just forgettable, and I'm really surprised that I don't hate it. Um, it's okay. It's fine. It's forgettable. I'm going to really struggle to remember much of anything about this. I think we said it a bunch. Either lean, it, lean into the turn or play it more heartfelt, and to just be between makes it so very empty yeah and jims what would you like to rank it yeah i think i'm gonna go participant too i was concerned i was gonna be the only participant here like i'm gonna knock it because i don't think the concept probably should have even happened to begin with but they did Mm. kind of make the best out of a bad situation even if the plot doesn't quite work this rating is mostly buoyed by the b plot which i think is is really Mm. good actually so yeah participant for me yeah i had the same reaction of i expected to hate this and i was just like Oh, okay, it's... Eh. No, I agree Um, totally about the B-plot really bringing it up. Like, I was flirting with bronze, but I, ju- I just can't help it. Like, even though the main storyline to me is total pure participant mm-hmm. with failure moments, I don't know, if it was just 10% more of anything, I think I could have mm-hmm. given this one a passing grade. But, yeah, as it is, you know, that intern who lost the bet and had to fucking write this thing, yeah, mm-hmm. they did well under the circumstances. Yep. 
Yeah, the fact that we're talking about a Grandpa Selma marriage episode that doesn't get a failure rating, yeah. that's pretty yeah. good, I would say. <laughs> well done, random unpaid intern. Yep. Okay, that'll be a unanimous participant. This will be the fourth episode from season 18 that we've given a unanimous participant. It'll also be joining Crook and Ladder. That's when Homer and others join the fire department and start stealing shit. Oh, yeah, that one. Uh, It'll also be joining Homerazzi. It's an episode I almost gave a bronze. I kind of like Homer being a paparazzo. Mm -hmm. And also Kill Gil Volumes 1 and 2. It's a perfectly cromulent episode. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's all these, yeah, season 18 episodes where they're, yeah, doing more with the side characters and putting them at front and center and it not paying off. Yeah. And t- I know it's too late to do this, but I do want to put a rank between participant and bronze that's just cromulent. <laughs> like, it's, it's competent, it's well put together, but it's just not good. Mm. <laughs> you, have a, you have a lot of spreadsheet updating to do now. Yeah. <laughs> for real, for Can real. have all the guests back to do all the participant borders. Oh, God. <laughs> I jest, of course. <laughs> All right. Well, look, that does it for the teens era. Now, finally, we have earned our classic era episode. Oops. And we are going Woo-hoo. all the way to watch uh, season six episode. A star is burned. BT, what is this episode? It's where they try to set fire to a star, but realize that stars are always on fire. Who could forget that classic one? <laughs> all right. We'll watch that. We'll be back. And we are back, and we just watched our classic and final episode of the evening. This was Season 6, Episode 18, A Star is Burns. First released in March of 95, it was directed by Susie Dieter, written by Futurama and Simpsons legend Ken Keeler in his first writing credit. What? Yep, and in this episode... What is this, a crossover episode? (laughs) We meet Jay Sherman's The Critic as he comes into Springfield and crosses all over the place. Crisscross, what do we think? Wow, that was a lot of movie references in one episode. (laughs) (laughs) Just. Yeah. Now, personally, I'm confused why, if uh, this is clearly meant to be a Mr. Burns-based episode from the title, he gets treated so harshly. Mm Mm-hmm. I know, they're all just like your movie sucks, despite the fact that it's clearly got the highest production values, therefore the best quality. Who was meant to be the Lady Gaga in this story? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I took your advice as well and overnight watched the Siskel and Ebert episode of The Critic, and I also watched uh, another one as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Beach, did you go around to it? or I got about most of the way, and then I got sleepy. Uh, Unrelated to the episode, it was just late. Yeah, fair enough. So yeah, it, this is like the first time in a very long time that I watched mm. The Critic because like it used to be on like in repeats on our sort of uh, local comedy channel. But an interesting thing about this episode for Australia as well is that this was one of two episodes from season six that wasn't shown in Australia in the original season six run. And mm. it's because The Critic was currently signed to a different uh. network and uh. yeah, Channel 10 didn't really want to promote a Channel 7 show. But curiously, the other episode that wasn't shown in the season six run was Round Springfield when Bleeding Gums Murphy dies. And besides oh, yeah. wow. from being a bit of a downbeat episode, I, I don't see a logical reason why they'd pull that one. So that's why, because I remember seeing, you know, the uh, 128th episode Spectacular or whatever it was, when they said uh, Bleeding Gums Murphy died. I'm like, when did that happen? Yeah. And that's why, ah, I thought I just missed an episode, which seemed impossible. Hmm. Well, it all makes sense now. That's a that's a weird coincidence that those were the two episodes that they got rid of because both of those were the Al Jean and Mike Reese episodes of season six too. Oh. Like almost like they're scrubbing Al Jean and Mike Reese from the season. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, because 
they left in season four, I want to say, to pursue the critic. Uh, yeah, and then David Merkin was doing that year, but um, Algina Mike Reese came in for like two episodes, and yeah, that was the other one. So it's kind of a weird coincidence that that happened to be the other one that they picked. Yeah, that is very strange. Yeah, well, we all know Al Jean is the time-traveling psychic that uh, <laughs> makes all the Simpsons predictions. So obviously Channel 10 was uh, trying to keep us from knowing the future. Well, Channel 10, what's wrong with you? Well, you pointed out a bit of that as mm-hmm. well last night, didn't you? What was the line from The Critic? Or? Uh, so in the episode of The Critic we watched was a line where a billionaire is running for president who hates Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I was like, nope, too real. Gotta leave. <laughs> nope. <laughs> oh, did wow. you watch the one where he runs for president too? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, got most of the way and just got up to his dad acting like a lunatic. I'm like, I feel like I know where the rest of this is going. <laughs> That's funny because I recommended like, oh, maybe we should watch the Siskel and Ebert episode. And I put yeah. and I searched for that one on YouTube. It said like, you know, Siskel and Ebert in the title. And then when I watched mm-hmm. the whole episode, that wasn't even the episode at all. It was the one where his boss runs for president. So I it's funny confused. that I think you did. I think you did the exact same thing I did. <laughs> Yeah, and his boss played by Charles Napier as well, which is another Simpsons connection because he'd come mm. back and do a lot of voices in the sort of mid-run. Yeah, and they seem to have poached whoever did the voice for Lunch Lady Doris. She Doris Grau, yep, she's in it as well, playing his assi- makeup. Yeah. Yeah. And Nancy Cartwright as well was mm. another big player, which is why I think they gave her the I feel so dirty line in this episode. <laughs> because she's at least the connective tissue. Mm-hmm. But yeah, last bit of fun fact trivia that I've got for this episode just before we hook into the review proper is that this is like the only episode of The Simpsons where Matt Groening's name does not appear anywhere in the credits. And this because he was vocally against this episode. Originally mm. in production, he was apparently a pain with like the design of Jay and making sure that they like Simpsonsized him and make him fit into the universe and was also vocally disproving of doing any sort of crossover episode and because this was around the time when the critic you know had done its first season it wasn't doing so well on its original network and james l brooks negotiated for the critic to move to fox and follow the simpsons to give it Mm -hmm. you know a fighting chance and part of that was doing this crossover episode to help promote the critic and that sort of all matt groening saw it as just an opportunity to promote this failing show did he know there was a football in the groin in the episode (laughs) once uh, jay sherman was in all bets were off okay all balls were off all burns were off um i i had read in this book there's this guy john ordved who wrote this book uh simpson's unauthorized like history or whatever yeah and um they were actually talked about this episode that this was a rather stressful time to be on the show because the directions did come from down on high from james l brooks and poor david merkin had to kind of manage this writer's room who were in general against doing this like the writers were kind of on matt Groening's side of things but mm-hmm. they obviously didn't have any control over any of this and it did lead to a lot of stressful situations and like frankly pretty unpleasant moments as the book described it um but like if they want to do the episode they're going to do the episode so those writers ended up losing out anyway yeah they ended up with a pretty good product for something a lot of people didn't want to do <laughs> Yeah, I gotta say, this, um, you know, Simpsons didn't do crossovers back then, and seeing them do all the cheap ones these days of Futurama and Family Guy and stuff, you, I'm glad that this didn't happen too much. Mm. You know, this was an obscure enough property that I don't think affected it, 
Because, yeah, we didn't actually get your thoughts on the critic at the top of the episode, Jims. What do, what do you think of the show generally? What's your history with it? Um, I like the critic. I I didn't watch it at the time when it came out, but I watched it all on YouTube, I think about like three or four years ago. Uh, to be honest, I like the show, but it's always been one of those things where I wish it were just a little bit better. Um, <laughs> like the first season is very, very repetitive with some of the jokes they do, like lots of cutaways, lots of pop culture references, like all of Jay's jokes tend to fall down like a couple similar runs of Jay's overweight and heavy, Jay's a loser, mm. things like that. And you can tell in the second season when they give him a girlfriend that they're really trying to write him a little more, like less of a loser, you know? Mm, um, sure. So I, I like the show. I think it's funny, but I I always wish I could get into it more. It's never like yeah. completely clicked for me, the critic. Yeah, totally. Yeah, look, again, like I said, I haven't seen the show for years. So last night watching two and a half episodes... I sort of got the impression that it is like a bit more sketch showy and like I gotta say like, the film critic format is a great vehicle for sketch mm. comedy and I think that the show from the episodes that I saw anyway were able to weave a story around that so it didn't feel so you know the worst parts of family guy but yeah it does sort of just feel like Here's a joke for a fake movie sequel, yeah. and here's Jay denying he's gay again. And yeah, I so even from two and a half episodes, I get that whole feeling of, yeah, there's a couple of uh, wells that they go to way too often. Yeah, you do notice it, it kind of trickled into this episode a little too. You can tell that this was written by not the same writing staff in season six because they do cut away a little more this year and they do have a little more like describe a joke and then like homer comes in with the thing of snakes for example you know there there is a lot of tell than show that we complain about in the modern seasons in this episode no absolutely i saw a lot of the points of bad simpsons in this episode Mm. yeah i was gonna say like similar kind of bit when homer's sitting there i'll never drink a beer again beer here i'll take 10 Mm. which i think gets saved by take 10 (laughs) And to be clear, even though I'm criticizing, like, it's similar to the structure of modern Simpsons, the joke writing mm. is strong enough where it's not oh, yeah. a significant problem, but you do notice the style change. No, definitely. Mm. But also, I think there's a lot of flat jokes, or I don't know, maybe uh, let's hook into the episode mm-hmm. review and really uh, dissect this one. BT, for better or worse, what's a moment that stands out to you? Um, man, this is, my notes are all just little bits and pieces, but uh, my main one is man getting hit by football. That was really the best film. Like, yeah. What else do you want? It's, it's a man getting hit by a football. As it says on the can. Yeah. You get exactly what, what's on the label. What else? It want? works on so many levels. <laughs> the sound effect choice as well of the little cartoon spring. <laughs> and like, this wasn't an accident either. This was like a stable camera. Hans mm-hmm. Molman shot this. <laughs> this was in the script. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a writer visionary. <laughs> uh, man, it's a curious one where all I got a lot of notes on this one, but they're all just like single bits. They're not like an overarching thought for the episode. So, mm. how about you, James? What stands out to you for better or worse? Uh, I'm going to say uh, to kind of go with that film idea. I'm going to go with Barney's film stood out to me. It reminded mm. me a lot. I was thinking of um, how Al Jean and Mike Reese really love this concept of making fun of these pretentious films. I was thinking about the uh, Mr. Plow commercial that they did. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah. this one really, I think this might be my favorite Barney moment in the entire series. Like, 
Like, it's this perfect send-up of these kind of pretentious, but kind of making a... Like, you can see, like, the point they're making, and it's really artsy and beautiful, but, like, mm. it's clearly kind of up its own ass as well. It's it's just perfect. Yeah. I love I love it. Yeah, that's it. The time-lapse shots of clouds and roses. And, and... ending with Finn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that moment where, uh, where he's talking to ladies, and uh, they talk about how beautiful he is, and then, like, when he's talking to them in real life, they just cannot deal with him at all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he seems very full-on to be next to. Yeah. Uh, did something crawl down your throat and die? It didn't die. Mm. <laughs> well, Barney has always been a tricky character for mm. The Simpsons, because... Like, they've said in commentaries multiple times that they hate writing Barney because it's just depressing. Yeah. Like, how do you make rampant alcoholism funny? And they really make him a sympathetic character here. Mm. And accentuating one part about Barney's character is that he's only ever really been a danger to himself. He's not one of those drunks that Mm. uh, harasses people or anything. He just, yeah, damages himself. And having this front and center, even in this, like, knowing wink of a goofy artsy movie is like, oh, it's actually also heartfelt. Yeah. But, you know, it's also not afraid to undercut it with jokes as well with Barney at the Girl Scout meeting. Trying to get them to realize (laughs) they had a problem. (laughs) Again, he set up a camera. (laughs) (laughs) He's an artistic genius. He really is. Mm Mm-hmm. And going the Kevin Smith route of saving money on um, color and just going for black and white. Is it pretentious or is it... Uh, Cost effective. Yeah. Hmm. And yeah, what stands out to me? I, I guess, yeah, let's go with the third film that's uh, front and center in this movie. Um, uh, Burns for All Seasons. Mm-hmm. I love this because it's just Mr. Burns doing all the best climax moments of many films, right? Yeah. <laughs> I do love them falling off the horse and getting dragged and going, 20 takes, and that was the best one. (laughs) I always wonder, how do these film sequences link together? Like, is the idea Mm. that this was actually like a 30 to 60 minute film, or was it just one sequence after another that we actually saw? God, imagine if it was like an hour and a half long film that <laughs> mm-hmm. you just got cut down to the best bits for our entertainment. Yeah. I mean, if it's ripping on Ben Hur, then it's going to be like three hours. So. Oh, geez. Yes. Oh, and one of the guest stars of this episode, there's Drew a lot- Barrymore. Nope. <laughs> yeah, Drew Barrymore as Mo. Yeah, that was actually her. I know. And I think she would have been, what, fucking 10 at the time? Yep. <laughs> she, she got into drugs early, man. That wrecked her voice. That is true. Mm. <laughs> I'm hungover. <laughs> no, playing a uh, Judah Ben Hur was Phil Hartman in a rare non Lionel Hearts, non yeah. Troy McClure role. Yeah, anything else to say about Burns's film? Were they saying boo or boo Burns? <laughs> All right, something I only realized in this watch, you know, because everyone knows and loves that line. Fuck, there's actually a lot of quotable oh, lines from oh, this episode. Yeah. Like, yeah, even though Hans Molman submitted a movie to this and he assumingly wants to win, he's still cheering for his competitor. He was yeah. that one over. Hans Molman is a fair and even person. I guess he's just supporting his film community. Yeah. Yeah. His passion is film, Elliot, not winning. <laughs> I would like to think that somebody as great, who made such a great film like Man Getting hit, hit by Football would have better taste in films. Like, come on, Hans. Like, really destroyed the illusion right there. Well, maybe he's, like, just uh, appreciating the, the, the directing and the, you know, sound design and things like that. It may the story isn't for his liking, but he respects the quality behind it. It did, certainly did have production values. Mm-hmm. And Hans Wollmann, being the filmmaker that he is, respects quality director. Yeah. Like Signor Spielberg. <laughs> uh, play count. How many times have you seen this episode before? 
gosh, it must have been like dozens of times at this point. Like, I never skip it when I watch season six. Yeah, no, me neither. 20 times, and this was the best one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would have only seen it, I don't know, 10 times less than every other season six episode because of the reasons I stated before, I'd say. But was this a particularly wacky episode of The Simpsons? Certainly had its whack. Mm. Homer and Jay's bellies growling underneath the table. (laughs) (laughs) A little tummy dog fight. That was Mm -hmm. so cute. I mean, they don't have people, like, teleporting away or anything like that, but yeah, this episode kind of goes all, all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Santa's little helper ate Jay's Emmy in time to have it arrive. Hmm. Is this a joke that the critic didn't, like, win any awards or win over any public favor or anything, or is this Jay the character's awards? I have no idea what to interpret it by, because when I think of this, the critic as a show, I think of, like... He's supposed to be a big lovable loser type, you know, where you like they yeah. put him down all the time. But like they make fun of how like they're shilling for the show. Like Bart feels so dirty shilling yeah. for the show. But they really do shill Jay in a lot of ways. Like Lisa's talking about how much she likes him, and then he has yeah. all these awards and stuff. Like they make fun of it, but then they actually do kind of shill him. God, it's maybe what you were saying before where Mm. they sort of pivoted the character a bit from season one to two and maybe this was part of it of trying to yeah rebrand him a bit yeah maybe because yeah it is always the tricky thing when you've got like a kind of unlikable lead is that you've got to yeah make them sympathetic or relatable some way so or likable i don't know Mm -hmm. And you can do that with Golden Globes. When I, when I started watching The Critic on YouTube, I was kind of expecting him to be like this dynamo who like wins contests and things like that from mm-hmm. watching The Simpsons. So actually watching the series, like they didn't really sell what the show was at all in some respects. No, and this is sort of the thing where I push back on the whole idea that this is a, I don't know, cheap crossover episode or whatever is because I think Jay Sherman fits fine within The Simpsons universe but maybe it's mostly because, yeah, he's been written from Al Jean and Mike Race, so you've got uh, some sort of writing consistency there. But you've also got John Lovett, so one of the other guest stars for this episode, who was a multi-multi-time Simpsons uh, mm. guest voice actor for multiple characters. So I thought, yeah, writing-wise and sound-wise, it fit in with the show beautifully. I mean, a lot of guest actors, it's like, whoa, this feels different. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, fit right in. Yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they do the whole second act is just him sitting around the Simpson house, like interacting with the family, Patty and Selma and things. So I think that's probably the slowest part of the episode, to be quite honest. But I do like that they did try to integrate him within the actual family at that point. And it sort of didn't, uh, to me anyway, it didn't feel forced like some of these times, like, why don't you come stay with us, guest voice actor? Mm-hmm. Like, I think the writing is fairly fluid here. And yeah. Uh, get the sense of the show as well like i don't know if this was a subtle reference to the show because something that tripped up both me and beige last night is like the critic the show has two intro title sequences Mm. it has the intro for the critic and then for the intro for his show within the show coming attraction so yeah it feels like the intro sequence on that show goes for like two minutes and it did here as well with the eye on Springfield. Eye on Springfield is great. I will not have a bad word said about it. This intro was pretty long. Like, I don't know about you, but I thought they used all the footage from the season three one. And then they added like three more sketches into it. 
Yeah, it's really jarring how they do that. Because, yeah, the very first one is definitely from season three. But then they add stuff like, mm. what are the specific ones? I think, like, the one where he's being poured cement on him, I think. And, like, maybe a I couple like other that. ones. Like, it's really kind of jarring seeing the old Klasky Chupo and then the film Roman stuff, like, back yeah. to back. Yeah, right? Because, yeah, it's it's very little things. Like, it's a slightly orangish shade of yellow back mm-hmm. then. The li- outlines are slightly thicker. And... Yeah, there's these differences that you don't think about episode to episode, but you do notice in these sort of clip show moments. Oh, speaking of Ion Springfield, um, did you notice how there was an FDR joke in this one, going back to our first episode we talked about? Oh, no, miss that one. Yeah, yeah when cr- he's uh, in, Krusty's in the wheelchair on the, for the play and then gets up and goes, oh, wait, that's right, he's crippled. Oh, duh, right. Yeah, yeah so this is Roosevelt the podcast that today. <laughs> yeah. Now I really like the uh, in science dead last. I'm telling you, people, the Earth revolves around the sun. <laughs> Boo! You stole my soul. Grandpa yeah. has some great lines in this one. Oh uh, yeah. Especially because I've gone on record on this podcast in saying uh, the metric system rules, <laughs> and Grandpa being like, "My car gets forty rods to the hog's head, and that's the way I likes." Ah. Mm-hmm. But also, let's take a moment to respect that when talking about the uh, Earth going around the sun was so. A joke and not something you had to defend on uh, in science yeah <sighs> good times <laughs> good times <laughs> uh, any other wacky moments from this episode uh oh i almost forgot we got to talk about flanders's baby moses moment where we do see god intervene and save the day mm-hmm. the literal uh, hand of god how many fingers did he have Oh, doesn't he usually have five? I'm pretty sure he only has four in this one. That was not God. That mm. was just some other giant in the clouds. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is another one of the ones where it's like, yeah, of course it's breaking the reality, but I don't hate it. Mm. Mostly it's just, yeah, it's played for wacking, especially when uh, Rod's going down the river. It's like, help me. Yeah. E- <laughs> e- <laughs> I love the little pause. I'm still stuck on this God thing, because if that's the god that Flanders sees, but we know the one that Homer sees is different, but possibly the real one, because Homer may be a deity himself. Man, this is a deep rabbit hole. I can confirm God had five fingers in there. Okay, thank God. Only one god in this universe. Um, (laughs) Jay knows the entire Oscar Minor Wiener song. Do you guys have that song in Australia? I was going to ask you, does this reference work for you guys? No, it's one of these things like Armour Hot Dogs where we just started singing it anyway, yeah. even though we don't have the product over here. It was a Simpsons reference, never a uh, jingle for us. Uh, okay. Which is a strange form of advertising in a way mm-hmm. that we've now been successfully advertised this product. We remember the jingle and everything, but... Yeah, I would eat an Oscar Minor Wiener now just to be like, ha, Simpsons reference. <laughs> you know what the weird thing is, though? Like, Because we've been to the States a few times now... Um. But, like, my first time there, like, seeing all these products that I only saw on television, and mm-hmm. especially Seinfeld and candy bars. Yeah. Like, I saw so many of the candy bars that were from Seinfeld. And my discovery on this was that they're all just some sort of permutation of chocolate and peanuts. Huh, not all of them. What about a junior mint? It's chocolate, it's peppermint. It's very refreshing. <laughs> okay, one. <laughs> <laughs> I swear junior mints are only around because of Seinfeld still. I wouldn't have bought them otherwise. They're one of those ones as well that they're small enough that you can think you can have a bunch, but then you get very sick after four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of Seinfeld, there is a Seinfeld reference in this episode. Yeah. Oh, of course. A- again, I felt like this is another 
uh, shining a light on this is going to be a crossover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I kind of think like I kind of think that's the worst joke in the whole episode. Like every time she erases the letters and then they play the little bass jingle, I do kind of groan a little bit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but given what you said about the writers not being on board with this crossover, maybe it's a little bit of a punch because they're like, ah, you know, the way to help a failing show is to attach it to a better one. That's, yeah, that was the line I was trying to think of. Yeah, Yeah. so maybe this is a bit of a jab that I never really realized before. It doesn't really land either because they don't get the actual bass riff from it either. Mm. Like, they just get this weird sort of. Again, just get someone going. Yeah, this was definitely written by uh, the non union Mexican (laughs) equivalent. Well, look, there's a lot more wackiness to talk about this episode, but how about the heart? Did we feel the emotional core? No, I mean... There was an emotional core to this episode? Don't cry for me. I'm already dead. Yeah, no, Barney's movie is moving, but it's also not the focus of it. I think that's maybe my big criticism of this one, is by the time we get to any kind of story conflict in Homer in the voting it's kind of done within mm. seconds. You're like, oh, okay. So there's not really heart from that perspective. It's more of a, you know, laugh factory. Yeah. The only thing that's moving me to is a bigger house. <laughs> you say the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> yes. Which actually became a meme for, like, people in politics uh, pretty recently. It sort <laughs> oh, yeah. of resurfaced and gained traction around there. Yeah, saying loud, <laughs> quiet part loud. In the United States, we just say the loud part loud all the time these days. So mm. <laughs> Everything's loud all the time. But uh, what did you think about the rest of the emotional core, Jims? I mean, it barely has an emotional core. Like, they're not really going to hang the whole plot on... Marge not respecting Homer's opinion. Like, after the first six seasons of Homer doing incredibly stupid things, like, there's not Mm. really going to be much of an emotional core. So, I guess I appreciate that they had some kind of family drama going on, but, like, it's hard to take it seriously. Like, they tried, but I didn't really feel anything. No, totally. It's just... It's a sketch show that just happens to have a, yep. you know, a nice little uh, running thing through it. And, you know, it's interesting to me because, you know, Beach, you were saying that there wasn't much time for it at the end. They mm. kind of just, as soon as it was a conflict, it was over. But yeah, there's parts of this episode where they really take their time with jokes. And it's kind of surprising that, yeah, they didn't have more time for building up any sort these sort of stories but mm. you know they do use that time effectively like when barge is hesitating answering questions in bed <laughs> that was great Sorry, wait. do you respect my intelligence yes wait are you humoring me <laughs> yeah I-, I just love that long blank stare that she gives like they yeah. hold on it for so long it's just unbearable in an episode that's full of cutaways and stuff that moment is really appreciated mm. that little moment of character humor they get in there no, absolutely, and especially like Homer will go, wait, that's a bad thing, Hall. Oh, like, yeah, look, it's not that much of a heartfelt episode, but did it feel like an episode of The Simpsons? Oh, for sure. All the jokes are on point. All the characters are there. It's all the things we love. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, the fact that the critic there does make it really weird. So they did write mm. him into the show like a Simpsons episode, but it does kind of feel more like a critic episode than a Simpsons episode a lot of the time. No, definitely. You know, like I was saying, you know, with some of the critics' format and structure, the mm. double intro, a lot of the cutaways to movie jokes and fake trailers and stuff like that. So, yeah, it 
does feel like Simpsons adjacent, but still within, you know, the Simpsons realm. And what really ties it down is that, you know, this is kind of a Springfield episode as well. We mm. get to see a lot of the B characters and the B character. Yeah, uh, and Wiggum's excitement <laughs> of finally getting to wear makeup. <laughs> he didn't even end up submitting a film. Or unless he was part of Arpoos and that was Yeah, yeah. That was staged. That wasn't an accident or something. I think Mo heard that suggestion and just ran with it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I think his was my least favorite movie. I'm forgetting the one that was before his, though. Oh, but there was also The Eternal Struggle, which didn't make it into the film festival. Yeah, yeah. Probably for its gratuitous nature. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I know one of the film judges would have disagreed with that one. That's also true. Mm. He probably Corruption fit- in the film industry? Never. Yeah, so like, I think I understand people if they w- said it wouldn't feel like a Simpsons episode, but mm-hmm. I think there's enough of Springfield in it that it still does, and even... And especially Rainier Wolfcastle. Fuck, he's killing it in this episode. <laughs> oh, he's <laughs> so great. Inspections, these appear to be loafers. <laughs> On closer inspection, these appear to be loafers. This line was actually ad-libbed by Dan Castellaneta. <laughs> but people would know Dan Castellaneta doesn't play McBain. This was when they were just doing like the timing and the for the animatic stage of the ah, right. production. And Dan Castellaneta ad-libbed this line. They added in the day-night transition. And then, yeah, when Harry Shearer came in they kept that line in fair oh wow uh, and of course you know talking about memeable moments in rainier wolf castle i mean that's the joke come on yep. <laughs> how many times have we said that over the years Jeez. but have you ever noticed how men leave the toilet seat up mm. that's it his stand-up was perfectly fucking terrible as well like yeah yep. all premise no punchline <laughs> and the fact that yeah. it cost them 80 million dollars to make that film Mm-hmm. How do you sleep at night? <laughs> Top of a pile of money with many beautiful ladies. <laughs> Not going to lie, you want a good night's sleep. That's the way to do it. <laughs> All those uh, memory foam mattresses ain't uh, got shit on a pile of money. Hells no. A little harder in this country because our money is plastic and not as soft. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's really the many beautiful ladies that make it work. Mm. Mm. I've never done both at the same time, so only one of them. <laughs> it's difficult to organize. <laughs> can only ever have a pile of money or beautiful women. I know, yeah, you, yeah. you need so much more money to cover that many people. <laughs> <laughs> but yes or no, would you watch this episode again? Yeah, I think so, probably. Yes, of course. Of course I'd watch this episode again. <laughs> I also would watch this episode again. Yeah, I'd watch this episode again, and episodes we'd like to watch again. We'd like to think about what playlist we'd put this in. Uh, what are some other Simpsons episodes that would, you know, pair well with this one? I'm going to say Culture in Springfield, so uh-huh. maybe put it with uh, Lisa's Wedding, because that's when they have the medieval fair. All right. How about maybe something like Krusty Gets Cancelled? Lots of guest stars in that one. Lots of Hollywood mm-hmm. entertainment types, maybe? Definitely. Uh, I'd put this in a Burns playlist as well, because, like, <laughs> he's just excellent. <laughs> excellent. Burns, Burns trying to get people to like him. Hmm. Oh, God. oh, Burns uh, holding auditions as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, so remind, exactly. it, it reminded me a lot of Burns' air, like when the kids were auditioning for him and how he does that little like mm-hmm. movie trailer thing <laughs> as well. And also Homer getting very amused by a, a slapstick comedy bit. Whether it's, The boot kick Bart. <laughs> the football got the groin, the boot in the butt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Homer's humor. <laughs> Um, crossover moments, but you know who really wants to watch Simpsorama? I don't know. You could watch this, and then Lady, and then Lisa goes Gaga back to back, and I think they would reflect no. on each other oh. really well. 
<laughs> I mean, you could. You could also chop off your own thumbs. I don't recommend either. I love that Lisa Goes Gaga has become the go-to for, like, <laughs> fuck this episode. It's our current reigning champion of the pit. So yeah. <laughs> we haven't done a the ba- uh, bad episode Battle Royale since, but still. Or it didn't air. <laughs> yeah, I know it didn't air. But, yeah. uh, maybe one day. Mm-hmm. BT, what would you like to change about this episode? Alright, so something that really bothered me only on this viewing was that their uh, ranking system for the judges, they didn't have like a, you know, you pick your top three and whichever one gets, you know, in in that top three the most often is the one that wins. So naturally they hit a deadlock. If they'd also had some kind of system of ranking where maybe it goes from like failure participant, bronze, (laughs) silver, gold, and then put something in like a high-end ranking, like, uh, I don't know, beer nuts, um... That would have really, you know, helped to categorize which each film deserved, and then you wouldn't have had this deadlock problem. Because I feel like Homer only changes because he's pressured to, not because he really wants to. And if he wants to love football in the groin, then he can love football in the groin. I'd love it if they did adopt the Simpsons Index ranking scale some 25 years before it would be invented. Um, mm. But yeah, I really do want to hear John Lovitz going, now let's rank this thing. <laughs> what about you, James? What would you like to change about this episode? Ooh, not a whole lot, to be honest. I mean, I could do without the Seinfeld joke, which I'd complained about. Um, I guess the other thing is, I don't know how I feel about the joke where Jay gets hit by the football in the groin. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if that one works for me. I kind of wish it was just the first one and then the one at the very end, but I'm kind of on the fence about it. No, I agree. And it's kind of punctuated by the Nelson haw-haw as well, Phil, yeah. especially... I don't know. It's, yeah, just this moment where, um, yeah, the moment totally got undercut. And also similarly with the Patty and Selma, like, you know, Jay meets them at the door Mm -hmm. and then screams and then is flirting with them. I think there are a few of these sort of inconsistent jokes in this episode. Yeah, but I mean, at least that joke leads to the whole Scooby-Doo can do-doo, but Jimmy Carter is smarter (laughs) than At least has that going for it. <laughs> Another uh, joke where they weren't afraid to explore the silence as well with a, a tumbleweed <laughs> passing by. And, you know, of course, breaking reality, but who doesn't love a fucking good tumbleweed joke? Yeah, for a yeah. long time there we had the, like, when someone's joke would bomb in our group, we just say tumbleweed. Yeah. <laughs> and for a while, like, carry a small tumbleweed just to roll it across the table. Yeah, that's that, that's right, our friends group. That'd be the international side if your joke fucking bombed if we rolled out the pocket tumbleweed. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, good times. Let's bring it back. Yeah. It won't <laughs> work good, on the podcast. It's a good but... bit. <laughs> well, you can get the sound effect there. The t- t- <laughs> I feel like you guys are going to edit in a lot of tumbleweeds in post after I say things now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, do a, you do a good cricket noise. So. I've still got a coffee mouth, so maybe not I, d- I didn't demand it right now. I just said you do. Yeah, look, what I'd change about this episode, I think it definitely is lacking a certain tightness. Mm. And I think they've got all the right story beats. And I love how the town of Springfield really get behind this film festival idea. It's Mm -hmm. just one of these things where I really want more. And there's just not a lot of time for it. But also there is. Yeah, Um, it's only really on this viewing that I appreciate that it's not really a storyline to pull everything together. It's just... yeah carry through but not really to pull it together it doesn't have a, a core emotional moment or a core intellectual idea it's just a bunch of stuff that happened like which i don't mind it's mm. fun you know doing these sorts of episodes especially like the cast of characters you got in springfield like yeah use them and yeah i think it was the correct story move like there it is very interesting homer 
being let into the film judging crew and then just doing an absolutely horrendous job of it. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Homer Jobs playlist. It, it seemed pretty clear that this was just a plot for the sake of doing film parodies at this point, mm-hmm. which you could criticize the critic for basically being a show like that. Um, but if you're going to do one of those plots, at least the jokes they did, like the film parodies they did, were funny. So I think they get away with it. But you're right. They definitely did kind of structure the plot where where it was designed that way to get all those references in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was one of the parody films that Jay did at the start as well? I'm trying to remember. Um, an aging Charles Bronson in Death Wish 9. Oh, yeah. Hey, wish I was dead. Hey. That's right, because that is such a critic movie joke. Um, yeah. As far as I can tell from watching two and a half episodes, that Makes they you yeah, take whatever movie, add a two to it, and yeah. then that's the joke. Yeah, that's the easiest way of giving a reference without referencing the actual thing. You just make it the sequel that does the same thing and has the same bits. Mm. So guest stars of this episode, already mentioned John Lovitz and Phil Hartman. Also, Futurama legend, another Futurama legend, Maurice LaMarche, is in this episode playing George C. Scott, who also gets hit in the groin with a football. But also, John Lovitz wasn't doing his burps, and neither was Eudora Welty. Bullshit! (laughs) No, Maurice LaMarche was playing the role of burps. I do like how, despite the fact that I don't know who Eudora Welty is, I like that joke, and I do like the callback later when Krusty's like, I got a date with Eudora Welty, and there's a belch off screen, like, coming Eudora. <laughs> That's a good callback. I wonder how yeah. many people in our generation only know Eudora Welty because of that joke. Uh, I would say 100%. Yeah. Uh, the amount of knowledge that started with The Simpsons with me mm-hmm. is embarrassing. <laughs> wow, what a, f- um, what a fate she has, though, with like later generations, to because I don't know who she is either, and like she does all yeah. The stuff in her life like i'm sure i sound really ignorant right now describing this but for her whole legacy to be like run over by the simpsons joke i feel kind of bad i want to look up who she is now yeah well i mean it's one of these things where mick jagger goes you know i've sold billions of records and toured all around the world and seen you know millions of people but there's still people that come up to me that only know me from the simpsons you know yeah <laughs> everybody's naughty yeah uh, So, uh, Eudora Welty was an American short story writer, novelist, and photographer who wrote deeply about the American South. She died in 2001 at age 92, so she would have been, like, what, 86 at the time? (laughs) 92, that's good innings. Actually, I think we've discovered on this podcast that Krusty is a lot older than we think he is as well. Well, I mean, like a lot of things, it's inconsistent. Indeed. All right, cool, we're here. Jims, do you have any other notes about this episode before we rank this thing? Not really. I mean, I guess there's that joke about uh, Dr. Hibbert uh, going to Rocky Horror. Interesting reference. I would have cut that. It does nothing. (laughs) I mean, it adds to the tapestry of Dr. Hibbert that we know about him. Mm -hmm. I mean, it adds to the tapestry of the whole film festival mood around the town as well, but... I don't know, it just feels so out of place. Yeah, how does he not know about this? And who cares? It's a film festival. Lots of people dress up. Yeah. Eh, anyway. Um, other than that, uh, not really. Oh, I was going to mention, uh, I really like the itchy and scratchy in this one. It reminds me a little bit of that other wedding one they did where he throws the hat and kills his wife cat. But I, I think I like this version yeah. better where they basically grow up old together and then... Uh, well, actually, both mm. Itchy and Scratchy die in this one, so... Oh, yeah. Rare moment of Itchy dying. Mm. But... Yeah, like, Itchy was playing the long game on this one. Oh, yeah, that's a long fuse. Who gets, yeah, who gets 50-year time of dynamite? How do they have children? <laughs> how does that work? Oh, my God, those poor kids are going off to college in just one day. Oh, they're going off, all right. Hey. 
<laughs> How about you, BT? Any other notes? I oh, mean, I got a bunch. So Bart shows uh, Springfield as it's viewed from space, this windy valley, and uh, has an escape plan as devised by Millhouse. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's another goofy joke that I don't know if I would have kept in the episode or not. It is odd. Just but... the whole, you know, thing rolling up and then only their heads sticking out. It's mm-hmm. It's very cartoony, but it feels so unsimpson. I don't know. Well, I do. I also really like Marge in that same town meeting <laughs> where first she gets up and the whole pl- town is like, rah, 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 and I like they focus on one guy who is Marge's going to say something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, even like the town reaction, it, don't push your luck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like Marge at town hall meetings playlist as well. Mm. Yeah. Chuck this in with the casino and yeah. For sure. Uh, Homer doesn't know if he has a pimple or a boil. It was a gummy bear. <laughs> I fucking love this joke so much. <laughs> and Burge's introduction with the Imperial March from Star Wars, and then it's like, people's view is some kind of ogre. I ought to club them and eat their bones. Oh, it's so good. And then what's that stick that he wallops with Smithers? Like It's a walloping stick. It seems to only exist for that. It's way too yeah. short for a cane. When you become a manager, they give you one, and uh, you just wallop people who uh, step out of line. Have you walloped, Bede? I mean, I've got one. I've never used it. But they give you one. Mm. And who could forget the final line? Just hook it to my veins! This is another one where, what's the greater implication if this carried through to the other episodes? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if we're going to take... just it- walking around with a truck connected to his veins for the rest of the show? <laughs> well, either that, or he has consumed the lifetime supply of Duff and he's just back at Moe's now. Yeah, a lifetime supply, does that mean a lifetime? Or does that mean <laughs> what they think is a lifetime? Yeah. <laughs> they bought him off. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Gave him the cash equivalent. Yep. All right. I just need a couple of seconds to compile my notes, but we have a question, Jims, that is arguably the most important question mm-hmm. we ask. And I give the honor of asking that question to my co host, BG. That's right. Okay. So if you could have a sandwich named after you, what would be on that sandwich? And if that's too hard, because that is a very difficult question, then simply summarize to what's the best sandwich? What is on the real gyms? Wow, that's a tough one. Kind of putting me on. What's funny was I listened to some of your episodes. I really should have thought about this, huh? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm pretty basic when I come to my sandwiches and stuff. So I will, I guess I will go with some kind of turkey and Swiss, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Classic combo. Like maybe put some zesty mustard or honey mustard on there or Mm -hmm. something like that. I feel like I'm describing a yeah. sandwich from Arby's right now. Um, <laughs> hey, we have some very basic sandwiches on our hidden sandwich board on the SimpsonsIndex.com. So it's what it's what defined it's what you want. Don't worry about how fancy it is. And classic turkey Swiss is good stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. you won't get more basic than Brian from launching the pilot podcast, who just wanted a cheese sandwich, no toppings, no butter, no <laughs> other flavors, just a slice of cheese in bread, like not even grilled, just cheese. <laughs> We asked him, yeah, do you want a toaster? Do you want it warmed up a bit? No. <laughs> Cold-ass cheese sandwich with a craft single. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that gave me the time I needed to compile my notes, so it's time for my notes. I really didn't like the can't-touch-this joke with the rabbis. That was just blur. Like, because the punchline of, oh, pigs, we can't touch this. It was just like, Ugh. But then I really like the follow-up joke of Homer going, are we Jewish? Woo! And grabbing a small roast pig just right from off screen yeah he had mm. it prepped and ready i don't know how to feel about that one mm-hmm. i think it's worth sacrificing but god damn that's a good follow-up uh yeah homer's ears are burning 
this is one where I love that, yeah, his ears were on, uh, like, smoking a little, and that would have mm. been the joke. He's like, I wanted to see inside, so I lit a Q-tip. <laughs> it's like, you know, torches for, like, people spelunking or something. Was that yep. his idea? I, I don't know, man. Oh, it's so good. There's so many weird things happening to Homer's body in this episode. Oh, a lot of body horror. And my final note is, incontinent old man wins beauty pageant. <laughs> <laughs> I love some of these, like, non-Burns Burns-isms, you know, yeah. where he's not actually doing anything. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. All right, let's rank this thing. And I closed my book, so I forgot to see who's going first. Oh, it's Jim's turn to go first. Okay, so what is the difference, not to spoil anything, but what's the difference between gold and cubic zirconia? Gold we call excellent, and cubic we call essential. Like, you need to watch this for the Simpsons mm. experience. Another way to think of it is, like, gold's our five-star, but, you know, cubic's our six-star, you know. It's what's in your heart. Is it is it a five-star, or does it deserve a, a glorious six-star? Yeah. Okay, well, I think I will go with, in that case, uh, a gold ranking for this one. I don't know if I'm being too grouchy. I have no idea what you two are about to say. Um, I think this is very solid. Definitely worth a five-star rating, but... There are a few jokes that don't work for me. There isn't really an emotional core or anything. Like, it deserves to be way up there just because of how damn quotable it is. How darn mm-hmm. quotable it is. I'm just going to get rid of that one. Um, but, yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I would say this is a uber top-tier episode, in my opinion. No, I agree. And to be honest, I was flirting with the silver borderline, but there mm-hmm. is so much of this episode that does bring me up, even. And the jokes that fall flat, they just fall flat. They don't hurt me or anything. Um, They don't piss me off. It's just like, eh. But there is a lot going for this episode, and I kind of give it a bit more credit for being a crossover episode that doesn't feel too egregious. Like, I think Jay fits in fine with the Simpsons universe, and as a kid, I didn't know the critic for a couple of years after seeing this episode, Mm -hmm. and it it worked for me. This was still one that I liked as a kid, but, you know, it it hardly gets to that top tier. Yeah, as a kid, I was like, when Bart's like, this is a, oh, I smell a cheesy crossover episode, I'm like, oh, a crossover of what? That's kind of why I don't like that scene for a reason, because uh, I mean, you have to know yeah. for it to make sense, and it does eat up a fair amount of time. Eh, not too much, but I mean, the fact that I didn't even know this was a crossover episode for a long, long time. Yeah, I'm going to go with the gold as well. Uh, mostly, I was a little bit down on it, surprisingly. I think the lack of any kind of heart moment or any kind of real conflict keeps it from getting a higher ranking, but also it's just so damn quotable. It's got a lot of, a lot of great lines. And it's kind of that thing where it was hard for me to tell how funny something was because I'm like, oh, the line coming up in a second is pretty funny. I'm going to write that down. And I'd write it down and then it would happen. I'd be like, yeah. Mm. But even though, because it's, it's hard to tell when you've seen something so many times and it's so ingrained and you know it's there and you know it's coming. But that said, we've had plenty of episodes we have given Cubic to that even after having seen it 40 times, there is a new something to mind or there's still a laugh out loud moment mm. or plenty of. So yeah, gold. And we, as we remind everyone, gold is still a very good ranking. Oh, Absolutely. And this will be a unanimous gold. And this will be only the second episode from season six to get that ranking. The other one is Bart's Girlfriend, which was a gold by way of split decision. Because you're all fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what, did you, what did you vote for? I cubic zirconia of that one. All right. Well, yeah, look, that does it for the Simpsons Index this week. Jims, thank you so much for joining us, Hey. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. This was really fun. I love talking Simpsons with people, especially, I mean, I love talking about the classic episodes like this one we just discussed, but mm-hmm. like, when do you really have a chance to talk about some of these obscure later seasons? So yeah, this was great. 
once a week for us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and absolutely love your channel, love your Simpsons breakdowns and um, deep dives into the show. If people want to hear more of those, where can they go? They can go to the YouTube channel, The Real Gyms. Uh, it's a terrible channel name, I know, but that's what I'm calling it. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing some more videos soon, probably the next couple of weeks. Yeah, just check it out there. So yeah, you've done your Season 7 Retrospecticus and the top 10 of seasons. So does that mean you're working on your Season 8 videos now? Uh, I'm not sure. I've, I'm probably going to work on a couple other projects first. I'm thinking about doing a Grandpa video soon um oh yeah and then maybe like in a month or so doing season eight i don't really want to do the season retrospectives that quickly because you know i'm on season eight and that's when people start checking out so i'm trying to do those mm -hmm. every couple months or so yeah well i mean you don't want to uh, burn through the material too quickly you know there's only 31 seasons to <laughs> work with at the moment yeah but unfortunately about 10 that people yeah. care about you don't want to boo earns through the material too quickly oh <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> and BT, if they want to hear more delightful puns like that, where else can they hear us? They can hear us on our other podcast, Thrones of Game, the only Game of Thrones podcast that has the balls to watch the series backwards. So I've already seen the entire show, but Elliot J. O'Neill had never watched a single episode until we started watching in reverse order. Gives us a very unique perspective, which we kind of, basically it's a retro retrospective. <laughs> Check it out if you like Thrones of Game, if you like Game of Thrones, or just podcasts with unusual premises. Yeah. <laughs> and we just uh, finished season five as well, so mm -hmm. we're going to be starting season four next week. I know, getting into the good shit. Mm -hmm. Or is it? <laughs> Time will tell. All right, yeah, that about does it. Again, The Real Gems, thank you so much, mate. Yeah, thanks again for having me on the show. This was great. Um, look forward to more videos in the future, and I'll probably do a video on this podcast as well, so look for it there. A video at last, an excuse to wear makeup. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and BT, thank you as always. I mean, I live here. <laughs> and I've been your host, Elliot J. O'Neill. That's all the mustard in the house! Thank you for listening to The Simpsons Index Podcast, which is also an online spreadsheet available at thesimpsonsindex.com. You can chat to us online at facebook.com slash thesimpsonsindex or at simpsonsindex on Twitter or Instagram. Now, there's no bonus scenes for this episode, so we'll catch you next week.